CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back for the first edition of the Gypsy Tales podcast for 2021. Going to take me a little bit to get used to saying that and I have a great episode for you guys it is with a Canadian mountain biking legend by the name of Matt McDuff uh, if you've heard of Matt McDuff and you have any idea of his story then you know you are in for a ride uh, even just like listening to this or when I was just listening to him talk I was just sitting there just like dude what like what how, what, what do I even say to this? And man, like the, the crash that he had, the recollection of the crash that he had, and then the injuries after it and the way that he healed his body post crash, like, man, it's just a phenomenal story. And he is a phenomenal guy. I really enjoyed talking to Matt and this is such a sick way to bring in 2020 a uh, big thank you to everybody that did download the podcast either on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. Uh, it was ridiculous. It was something like 7 million downloads for the year, which is just, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, it was crazy to, to go through and see how we ended 2020 it was insane. The gypsy gang is absolutely killing it. So thank you to every single person that listened and to every single sponsor that made it possible. So uh, on the note of sponsors, just got to give a shout out to the legends that back this show uh today we're brought to you by the guys at crush oz they special in they specialize in premium bike care products and are a company by riders for riders this episode of the podcast is brought to you in particular by their crush platinum chain lube all weather all conditions every trail crush platinum has got your back developed with a unique wax blend crush platinum promotes slick gear shifting a quieter drivetrain and extends the life of your expensive drivetrain components with each application crush crush platinum flushes out the dirt and grit and lubricates your chain leaving a lush wax water resistant barrier these guys have been epic supporters of the podcast in what, 2018, 19, 20, and now in 2021. So thank you very much to the legends at Crush, crushoz.com. 
www.thegreatdeal.com to find out more. Uh, we're also brought to you by the world's best towel, Dry Times. Born and raised on the pristine beaches of the Gold Coast, Australia, Dry Times is the world's best towel. Inspired by good times and purpose built to work hard and play even harder. Beach, gym, pool, travel, kinder, whatever your passion, Dry Times is all about creating incredible towels for every adventure. Crafted from the finest fabrics on offer, we created our luxury performance fabric for versatility and durability. Rapidly becoming the go-to label for premium quality towels, Dry Times has grown leaps and bounds since launching with the exciting seasons ahead and great deals in the works. We can't wait to share this adventure with you. Head to drytimes.com, use the code GYPSYGANG for 15% off. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Rival Inc. They are still doing that Rival Inc. giveaway. We just announced the winner of the Gypsy Tales uh, prize pack in that whole deal today. So congratulations. Uh, and thanks to the guys at Rival for including us. Uh, I am going to be switching up the kit on the 350, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I would really like to get creative on this one. So you will be seeing some new stuff uh, from me with Rival Inc. here shortly. I think absolutely love, love a fresh kit on a dirt bike. I don't think there's anything better. I love the look of this one, but I feel like we could do something weird for this next kit in 2021. And I'm excited. Head to rivalinkdesignco.com if you want to do the same thing for your new bike, or maybe it is your old bike that you're taking into the 2021 season like I am doing. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Boost Mobile. Uh, in December, I was doing ads for their refurbished phones, and I was actually able to pick one of these up for uh, for myself. Absolutely, unbelievably, uh, like it was just brand new. It was a pre-owned phone, but it was brand new. So I'm not sure where they come from or who can have their phone and have it secondhand in that good a condition uh but yeah i just i don't really like to do the new phone buying thing super expensive and with the deals that boost has uh on these refurbished phones it just sort of doesn't make sense to me uh you can head to refurbished.boost.com.au to find out more uh, also brought to you by the guys at Cricks Tweed. As always, head to crickstweed.com.au. Get the number off there and give Kyle a call. He's waiting for your call. He knows that the Gypsy Gang gets special treatment at Cricks Tweed. So uh, get on that. Uh, and we're also brought to you by the guys at MX Store, mxstore.com.au for all of your dirt bikes, parts and accessories, new gear, Um I'm waiting to be inspired by the gear at uh, Houston one on January 16. And that will probably refire up my uh, need to drop into MX store. Uh, going to go riding this weekend though. Didn't do any riding in the holidays. So probably going to have to call in there at some point this week. Uh, I think that is it from me. Pretty sure. Uh, Working on setting a date for mid 2K. That's going to be in March, uh, probably the last weekend of March. But all this COVID shit keeps popping off. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, yep, the mid 2K entries that have been done and submitted are insane. Guys are doing absolutely amazing jobs. Uh, keep an eye on our YouTube channel because we will 
be dropping some updates here shortly. Uh, that's it from me. Thanks very much for listening. Again, thank you for being a part of the podcast in 2020. 2021, it's going to be our year, guys. It's going to be our year. It's like everybody else. Um, yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Head to gypsytales.com if you want to cop some merch. Uh, new Excite gloves are excitable to say the least. And that's it for me. We got a bunch of stuff coming too in the next few days. So, um, yeah, took a little bit of time off, but we back. Oh, shit, man. Getting some good. That first beer, you know, just. Yeah, because it's, uh, mm. it's uh, 8 p.m. over there in Canada land. Yep. Well, so thirty. So, oh yeah, shit. Yeah, my bad on that one. <laughs> so Matt McDuff joins us on the podcast all the way from Canada, and uh, shout out to our mutual friend and fellow podcast Lord Davy from the Hook It podcast. Uh, he's hooked this one up. He actually has been talking about. Uh, you to me for a long time man he uh definitely speaks very very highly of you so i'm excited man and uh from the research that i've done you have a pretty heavy story <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh first of all like mad respect to davy i i love him and also you know it's just amazing to be on this show considering all the guests you've had um you know, my stories, you know, you could say it's heavy, but it's, it's all relative. We all have our own stories and they're all, you know, everyone fights their own battles. And some of the guests that you've had on, man, I would say that their stories are heavy, man. It's a, it's, it's cool. It's cool to be here. It's cool to sit down with you. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess in the, you know, the, the lifestyle, I guess, sport that, that we live, uh, yeah, man, heavy stuff just kind of tends to be uh, woven into the fabric of of what we do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I guess it's just standard operating procedure is that guys that make a living uh, in our world have some pretty gnarly shit that they've got to contend with, right? Totally, dude. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, it's all part of the game, but... You know, if you, if you if you love what you're doing, it's it's never so bad. You know, it's just the cost you got to play, you got to pay to play, and it's it's all good. But for sure, you want to do whatever you can to pay as less as possible to to play. <laughs> yeah, dude, a hundred percent. So, um, you're you're a podcast dude as well. I mean, before we get into, um, you know, some of that story um what kind of got you into the podcast world and uh and i guess how's your uh your podcast stuff been going damn um well thank you so much for asking uh the podcasting has been an incredible journey and you know it's something that i've been wanting to do for a long time and i never had the balls to do it i was always a little bit scared and I guess the reason why I wanted to start podcasting was because I I was really hurt at one point in my life. I was really hurt and I was looking for for content to to relate to because I just felt really alone in my struggle. You know, I felt like uh I had 
no one out there that had been through or was going through what I was going through. And I was just searching the internet, looking for stories. And, uh, I just, as I was searching the internet, it just dawned on me that, that, uh, I wasn't alone. There was a lot of other people going through the same struggles, but no one had a, uh, and there was no content for it. You know, everyone was just on social media showing their, best moments Mm. so and you know you got guys on social media showing their best moments you got youtube channels where they're making content you know everyone's creating content but what is their content actually worth who is actually helping the younger generations navigate life and and move through action sports you know and and exit action sports you know a better Mm. man you know, better, better woman. Um, and I just realized that there was no, there was nothing really in that space. So I was like, screw it, man, I'm going to fill it. (laughs) And I, you know, I'm trying, I try my best. I mean, by all means, like I'm no, I'm no saint and I, I'm still making mistakes, but I just try to pass down everything that I've learned throughout my journey and, you know, the incredible guests that I get on the show and, and their lessons. So it asks like really deep questions. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I, I guess I can kind of relate to that. Like I'm probably, I don't know, probably at times a bit too at too deep, you know, like for people that are just like, fuck, I just want to listen to a podcast and just chill and, you know, and you sort of start going into super heavy shit. But I don't know, like I've always felt like it is uh, super important to talk about the deeper parts of life and i i don't know whether i'm the weird guy that like thinks about a lot of that stuff and you know because i feel like in my my circle of friends the people i gravitate towards the people that i do have constant deep conversations with and i just i don't know how normal that is and if it's sort of weird to sort of go to those places constantly but i don't know for me that's sort of thinking about other shit seems like a waste of time if you haven't thought about what's at the bottom of the ocean you know totally and i mean uh for your guests that are listening to this show if you're looking for a light podcast you know by all means do not listen to my show you'll be you'll be really let down dude like it's heavy shit that we get into it's real deep topics and uh and it's good to talk about that shit, man. Just like you said, I think that a lot of people stand, tend to stay on the lighter side, but I think, you know, humans, you know, we've been telling stories for thousands of years and we crave real relatable things that we could sink our teeth into. So I think that's why you're, you you look for those conversations because it, you know, it makes you feel connected. It makes you feel whole and, and uh, it makes you feel alive. Yeah, man, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we, sometimes I feel like I'm, yeah, just always the, the weird dude that, um, that wants to ask those weird questions, but I guess it's cool to know that there's, uh, there's other people out there that, that sort of have that, uh, that same thinking, you know? Totally dude. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's the only thing you need to have a podcast. You just got to be weird, I guess. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) can can relate to that so did you so you started it when you were hurt no dude i uh i didn't start my podcast till about eight months ago um i danced around the idea for two years um 
well, I was hurt about four or five years ago. I uh, know four, four and a half years ago now. And about a year after when I started getting my life together a little more, I was just, I just fully realized that there was nothing out there really that I was looking yeah. for. And then I was like, dude, I got to do this. And then I toyed around for the idea for like a year. And then a year passed by, I bought the gear and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then from that moment, it took me two years until I actually recorded my first episode and put it on. And I was just scared, man. Yeah. So was that, was that really what it was like? And what, well, what was the fear based around? Because there's different versions of fear, right? Totally. I mean, just being so transparent with your struggle, mm. uh, being so vulnerable, being so, uh, truthful, you know, and, uh, I got so many badass friends. Like I'm friends with all my childhood heroes, mm. anyone that I wanted, you know, that I looked up to. And I know when I put something out there, these are the guys that are going to be listening to it, you know? So, yeah. so it's, uh, it, it gives you fear because you're like, holy fuck, like what are these guys going to think of me? But, you know, ultimately these guys are my friends because they, they love me. They respect me. So if I'm going to be my true authentic self through podcasting, I mean, it's, it's no different. Like that's all I'm being. I'm just being my true authentic self and I'm yeah. showing it to the rest of the world. And those guys already love me for who I am. So why should I be so scared to just let the whole world know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's well, like, dude, it's like, it's like going to the bus stop naked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, dude, I don't know. I've honestly tried not to think too much about that side of it, eh? I don't know whether, yeah, it's been a, man, I don't know. Like, I think that um, it's funny. Uh, I know that you and Davey just spoke about uh, the War of Art on the book review podcast. Yeah, And it's funny yep. when I, I just read that recently, actually. And uh, it said that, one of the i guess one of the ways to beat resistance is to become a professional and it's funny that really resonated with me because from day one with the podcast i treated it like a job and i really got into it in that respect and it's funny that almost i think didn't leave me to have room in my psyche for those kinds of like doubts and stuff like that because I just mm -hmm. got so busy with, I was like, well, this is my job. I do it from this time to this time. And then I just feel like I filled my schedule so much because I didn't do anything else. I just did the podcast that like, I don't know, I'd almost like gave myself no choice. And it's funny now at the level it's at, I'm probably stopping and thinking about all of those, all of the things that I feel like st have stopped other people from starting podcasts. I'm actually three years down the road and I'm actually only just looking at them now. I'm like, Oh shit. Dude. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's incredible. And some people, you know, everybody's different. So everyone deals with resistance. And for those of you listening, resistance is a term from this book. And uh, we got a little bit of a book club that uh, me and Davey do from, from Hook It. And uh, yeah, I mean, like for me, 
I was always kicking resistance ass, but I was always just such an amateur about Mm. the way I went about things. So when I heard the term professional, become a professional, make the decision in your mind to be a professional, that's what I found really profound. And, uh, you know, just taking that to everything in your life will change, will change everything. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a... It sounds, uh, and I mean, I guess that's the beauty of books, but so this book, uh, is by Stephen Pressfield. It's called the war of art. He's a guy that wrote, um, the legend of bag of Vance. Um, I actually just had, what's the, um, the book that he wrote about the battle of Thermopylae, uh, hell's gates or or gates of fire. I I think it's called really. Um, How, How was that one? Oh, I literally just rocked up before. Um, but yeah, he's like a great fiction writer. And then he wrote a book on, it's not just writing, I guess. It's just overcoming um, the the negativity and the doubt that, that you have uh, to do some kind of creative process. The book's called The War of Art. But I just think it's so applicable to anything because you you have resistance. Like any idea that you have in the shower and that for the moment that you're thinking it sounds like the best idea ever, it's going to completely change your life and you can see the future so clearly for the three minutes that you're standing in the shower and then the moment that you get out, everything hits you of why the fuck that that actually won't happen and that is that force of resistance and I think that it's such a great book I've been meaning to listen to the the book club that you guys did on it um, because I'm super interested to, to hear both of uh, your takes on it but I think it's such a great book because so many of those things seem super obvious but they're just articulated so well but I really think that that becoming a professional was such a something that really really resonated with me and I think that when you can you know, apply that mindset to anything because, and I think about like UFC fighters, right? Like they, so many of those guys can be, you know, top ranked in the world in mixed martial arts, but still have a a part-time job, but they're choosing to be a professional at what they do, even though it's not their full-time gig. And so many people that are, you know, starting businesses, they start businesses with a job, and then the the battle is to try and go from working a full-time job to, you know, because you need to support yourself, you need to live, and then working ultimately for yourself. Um, and just, yeah, that term, to be a professional, like you can still treat yourself as a professional in anything that you do, whether you are technically a professional at it or not, right? Yeah, it's just a decision that you make in your mind and... And obviously he goes through principles and different character traits that, that, you know, divide the amateur from the professional, but it's a, yeah, it's more of a decision that you have to make. And it's, it's, I just never saw it like that. And that's why books are so fucking cool, man, because they just, they just open up your mind to so many different things. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I've been through quite the journey because I actually didn't even read my first book till I was like in my twenties, you know, yeah. like I always thought books were like these Satan fucking rectangles that you were just, <laughs> you just like there to make your life just terrible. But like, you know, it wasn't until I had a little bit more humility beaten into me that I realized that, that, you know, 
books are beautiful and that all the knowledge you ever need is in books, man. And books are one book. You could pay 20 bucks for it and it could change your life. And it's like the best bargain ever. <laughs> Dude, it, man, you're so right. And one of the things that I always say to people that don't read a lot that I'm sort of trying to convince them of like the, uh, because the thing is, is you're like, oh, books, like I got the fucking internet, I got podcasts, I got YouTube, I got Instagram, like I see a quote on a story that can resonate. I see, uh, you know, a couple minute YouTube clip and this motivation. It's just not the same thing. And the thing that I always tell those people is that that is a book is technology, right? There was a, a way that we made, uh, we, we took these ideas, we made a technology to print these books that mass produced the, the written word for centuries, generations, whatever. That's a technology. If you look at every form of technology, let's say the first cellular phone, and then you look at like iPhone 11, you look at that thing, that is such a ridiculous, ridiculous change in technology like the first iteration of that thing is so vastly different and so vastly improved that it's it's almost non-comparable but you look at a book it's the same fucking thing from day one it's words on a piece of paper and it's like even like you said it's in a fucking rectangle still like nothing about that technology has changed and there's not many technologies that I can think of that have remained unchanged from version one. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I think we live in a beautiful time where, you know, you just for a podcast, for instance, you could take, you know, someone as incredible as, as Robbie Madison, who I believe you had on the show. Mm. And, uh, you know, just to sit down with Robbie fucking Madison and listen in, on a conversation and let him just pour out all of his experience and everything that he's learning, you know, his views and, and just to be there and listen to that, you know, anyone in the world that is remarkable. You know, yeah, I would relate it to, you know, maybe hanging out with Marcus Aurelius and mm. the Roman empire, you know, like, like you hanging out with him and, and listening into his, one of his conversations, like no one in the Roman empire, who was a subject, a normal subject, got to listen to Marcus Aurelius every yeah, day if so he true. wanted to. But we live in a society where we can do that, and it's just, it's just, um, it's just amazing. And you know, you got to be a little bit careful with podcasts because certainly, you know, you get guys like me on there that maybe talk about some stuff that I don't know exactly, you know, maybe a little bit above your pay grade sometimes, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, that's the beautiful thing about audiobooks and authors, because those guys got to go through a process. They yep. got to get this stuff fact checked and yep. it's legit, you know, and you can listen to that whenever you want. And that's a beautiful thing that, you know, is just is some sort of crazy resource that, uh, that has like never really been available like it is right now it's so sick yeah so what was the uh what was the conditions that led to your mind being uh changed from book equals satanic rectangle with words of torture to uh doing a fucking podcast about books <laughs> 
<laughs> dude, life is crazy, eh? Life is crazy. And I think it's good because um, I'll just, I'm going to start your answer off with, you know, I really believe, truly believe that if if you, you know, don't think that you're a complete dumbass, yeah. the, your last year version of you, you know, you, like, you know, in 2019, whatever, Matt McDuff sitting here, like if I look at him and I don't think he's a complete dumbass, then I'm just not growing fast enough. Yeah. You know? And when you have a life and you live like that, that's how you make the transition from going from books or rectangles of death to fucking podcasts <laughs> about books, man. And it's cool because uh, I think what really changed in my life was I was hitting some big walls in my life and I had a really deep fire inside of me to, 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 I don't know, fulfill whatever it was. I, I still feel it and I'm still not really sure what it is, but it's just this fire, man, to to be something and to to do something and to to help people and to inspire others and you know, just be of surface to you know, my community. And I believe that it was that fire that just led me to 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 do whatever I could to get to the next level. And um I would you know, hurt myself and be looking for ways to improve myself and, and looking at guys like, you know, I guess Robbie Madison would be one or, you know, and just thinking about like, you know, just thinking about like how you get there, you know, and mm. just looking for, for any, anything, anything, anything just to get, um, a, a, a level up. And, you know, books that that's when I was really forced to turn to books because I, you know, you, you look around your community, you talk to your friends, they don't know shit. Um, you know, your, your, your parents, they just, they just know as much as they know, you know, and they, they learn that from their parents and stuff. So, you know, if your parents aren't professional action sport athletes, you got to look to other sources, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and you can't, you know, you like, <laughs> Yeah, so it was just looking for those it was just looking for those sources and and having the humility just to to be to open the book, you know, to to give it a chance and uh forget all the 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 I would call it post dramatic stress disorder from from school PTSD from school yeah. where they're like you got to read these books, you got to do this, yeah. you know. Uh and and uh, and also, you know, I have dyslexia, so reading has always been really hard and it's been something that uh that has uh always been difficult, you know, teacher gets you to read out loud. And uh, when you got dyslexia, man, like, dude, reading mm. is gnarly. You're like mixing up words and shit, you can't write. So I mean, probably a big part of not reading was a little bit of that, but I'll tell you, man, as soon as I started opening up the books and as soon as I started finding stuff that I was actually into, you know, uh, I mean, I think I read almost, you know, 30, 35 books in my first year That's of insane. reading books, man, like zero to 35, man, that's crazy. And, yeah. uh, and it was audio books and then tapping into audio books and dude, like, you know, and it wasn't easy. Like, like I probably read, uh, you know, it might take me, man, like I got to work hard to read a 200 page book, you know? So yeah. like, it's not like a, even, you know, it's even not an still? easy thing. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm getting much better, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, not the best reader. I mean, that's why it's so nice to have audiobooks, man. You can yeah. just crush those things. 
Yeah. Um, so what was the what was the first book that that you read? That, and did that first book? Uh, because, I mean, I love. I love reading like it's a huge 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 part of my life and I love to try and inspire people to read but I also know that I talk about it a lot and I just don't want to come across as like preachy and I don't want to come across on like a fucking high horse about it but you know so for someone like for you to say that you've had dyslexia and to overcome that and to read you know 36 books in your first year I mean I think that's a really important message to you know to get across to people um so like what was the first book that you read and then what like how did you get to that and then did that sort of stem off and you kind of got your your reading list kind of just grew from there yeah yeah the first book i read holy shit the art of war was the first oh, book i Sun ever Zou. read Sun Tzu, man. And I still, I read it. I read it often. And I think that uh, I took it a little bit too seriously, you know, because because I often, you know, I'll have uh, sponsorship talks with uh, with brands and the brand manager will be like, dude, you look like you don't got your shit together. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, like you look like the most disorganized man, yet I am so methodical. I got everything planned out, you know? just burying those principles, you know, a little, little bit too deep and, and just taking it like, you know, and and then that, that, that was the first book that really just spoke to me and opened my mind. And I, I just believed in it so much because like action sports is a form of war, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in, and your social media is the perfect tool for deception. Dude, I love it. Like, dude, if I wanted to be a pro scuba diver, I'm sure in a month I could convince, you know, I could convince everyone that I'm a pro scuba diver. And I just, you know, I was just talking to Ryan Nyquist about that. And because we did a little bit of a podcast and he was talking about social media and stuff. But but anyways, you know, though, the art of war was really what opened me up to books. And then just like you know getting in touch with with your friends and getting them to 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 show you books and then also like listening to podcasts you know like yeah. the Tim Ferriss show yeah. where you could literally just listen to these insanely badass motherfuckers yeah. that are just telling you their story and then they're like you know what these are the books that changed my life and you go download those books, man, and you listen to them. And, you know, Tim Ferriss' show is only like two, an hour or two. And you listen to one of those and you you relate to the guy and you feel his principles and you relate to his struggle and you go get the book. And then all of a sudden you got his operating system. Yeah. And then you're just like, fucking get that, eat that shit up. And then you're like, that, that starts working in your life. And then you're like, you feel like you're ready for another one. And then you feel like you're ready for another one. And it's just, yeah, man, it's so cool. And I mean, like, I guess I, it just, yeah. After the art of war, it just opened up a whole tsunami of things. And I I love history and ancient history. So when I came across that book and I started reading that, like it really, uh, it really, you know, it, it was pretty funny. It really changed me a lot. That's amazing, man. That's a that yeah. That's an insane first. Uh, that's an insane first book to 
to read. It's have so you read ridiculous? The, have you read Book of Five Rings? No, I have not, but I got it on a list. Should I maybe dive into that? Yeah, one? it's pre- it's pretty cool. It's in a it's in a, a similar a similar vein, man. Like in uh, yeah, he was a he was a G as well. I've actually been wanting to do um, a lot of well, just some reading around like Genghis Khan as well. I feel like there's probably a lot to learn from that motherfucker too. Totally is uh is that Five Rings about Genghis Khan? No, no, it's uh, it's a similar sort of like warrior book. Um, you know, it's about like a warrior's code and the way to sort of like live a, a warrior sort of lifestyle, you know? Dude, we got to dive into Genghis Khan because he is so badass. I This is nerdy as fuck. And I'm sorry for your listeners, but I'm just going to assault their ears with some Genghis Khan nerd out right now. Please I was do. looking at when he decided to travel across to assault japan because japan was just being so ignorant to him he was he was like capturing the fishermen and bringing them into his palace and being like look how i live i live so awesome go tell your uh you know go tell your kings and or i think emperor you know like how i'm living and the japanese were like absolutely not we don't want to know anything like they're not letting anything in from from genghis and then genghis just got pissed and he he drives all these, makes this insane fleet and goes over to Japan and he just starts like destroying these islands, man. And they're so gnarly because they would take uh, the, the the people and they would make necklaces of, uh, of dead bodies and hang them around their ship and then f- go around the island, you know, to just get all the people in hysteria. And I was just thinking like, yeah, I was like, holy fuck. Like, when was the last time someone did anything like that? Like, that is absolutely insane. The terror, you know, that that would put into you if you're on an island. And I was just like, dude, life is so fucking good right now. I'm so happy that there's not some insane empire just like, you know, coming around to like fuck shit up, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Anyways, he didn't end up he didn't actually end up taking Japan. Japan held out, but because they're badasses and they had the samurais. But yeah, it was a pretty cool story. Man, you're so right. Like one of the things that uh, I read Sapiens uh, a while ago. I don't know if, if you have you read that. I I'm I'm on. I haven't read that one, but I'm right. I'm reading uh, um, Homo Deus. Oh which I think yeah, the second- yeah. Yeah. It's the second book and that one's cracking my brain in half. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I haven't I haven't read those. I've got um I've got twenty one lessons for the twenty first century as well. And then but I, I don't have uh Homus Deus. Um but man, like that was one of the the first uh like kind of overview historical books that I've read. And man, that what you just said then about like I'm so glad to be alive now <laughs> I had that exact same perspective when I read that book and I th- uh, the whole time I was thinking it, it it gives you for those that don't know Sapiens is uh, a book it's called a uh, oh, I've got it here a brief history of humankind and that's what it is it's sort of like the cliff notes of all of humanity from like the way that we evolved the different type of sapien species that were on the planet the fact that homo sapiens um 
uh, potentially, or there's an argument for us actually wiping out, uh, we caused the extinction of the other sapien um, species. And then it follows from there to pretty much now. And man, any time, like, I just, you see so many people that want to complain about society. And it's like, A, you get a lot of really great perspective on why, I guess, society would be the way that it is and it sort of makes sense and and when you've got like a bit of an overview you're like oh i can't really see how this could be any other way now like even though it's not perfect i get where we came from and in every sense the living conditions of humans are so much better for the vast majority of people you know like even just to look at like infant mortality rates at one point in time was like one in three or one in six. And it's like, we just don't have that now. Like people live. If you're born today, chances are like you're going to stay alive. Yeah, it's sick. I mean, we live like Persian kings. And I really think that it also comes with its own struggles, you know, because we have just access everywhere Mm. to everything all at once. And, and that's really the modern day struggle. It's like you just totally you're the spoiled prince and you got to, you know, you, how are you going to live up to your potential when you just you don't need to. You could just be you could just be like, you know, any, anything, man. You could be a couch potato, whatever, like you go on welfare, whatever, like you can there's no call to to reach your potential. Um and that's why I think action sports are so good, actually, because, you know, the young men got a lot of energy and there's, you know, there's, there's, there's no more wars, really. You know, there's no like battlefields or whatever, but yeah. there is, but they're gnarly. They're there's not no the conscription same. to the front line. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, and there's also no tribe. And I think that action sports is really a perfect place for, for young men with a lot of energy to, to go out, find a community and test their cells, you know, like with real results, you know, and they get to mm. find out what they're made of at the skate park or, you know, or, or on the mountain. And it's pretty, it's pretty sick. And real, and real consequences too. Like, I mean, you're a guy that has had to deal with real consequences from that pursuit of, you know, whatever it is you're chasing. Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's, I think you'd need that, you know, as a young man, you need consequence in your life. Um, it's just a part of, of life. You know, you touch something hot, you're going to get burned. I think in action sports, we just don't know it's hot. If we're doing tricks that, that maybe no one's ever done before or building new ramps that maybe no one's ever jumped before, you have ideas, but no one knows exactly you know, if the pan is hot, so to say, and, uh, Mm. you have ideas whether or not, but you gotta, you know, sometimes you gotta be the first one to touch it. And in that case, you know, sometimes you get burned, but it's, it's not even that because that isn't the case for most kids. For most kids, it's just running up against their own ability and their own thoughts of what they think they're capable of, you know, and that's really a great thing, you know, because you, I think in order to make good decisions, you really need to be based and rooted in reality. And 
action sports is definitely arena that if your reality meter is a little bit out of whack, you know, (laughs) you're going to make decisions that are going to put you in the hospital and it's going to, that's going to, you know, show you that, you know, you, it's going to force you basically to, to take the time to make sure that you are, you know, in check with reality (laughs) and its consequences. yeah. Yeah. It's so true, man. And, uh, we were I was talking to R. Willie when he came on the podcast about this that and I mean this is one of the things that I love about jujitsu is that you can be like this like your background's irrelevant at a skate park. If you know, you got you can have a piece of shit BMX bike and if you can fucking three sixty some gap that no one wants to even look at, it doesn't matter if your parents are fucking junkies you're on the shittest bike in the world. You've got, haven't got any of the cool clothing. If you can do something that can, you know, wow people. And if you are willing to do something that other people aren't willing to do, like you get respect, like respect is just so uh, inherently earned in action sports. And I think that that's been something that's allowed people like, I mean, Brian Deegan, for example, like I look at what he's been able to achieve in his life in, in terms of like, let's say quote unquote success, like what you would call success in the, you know, everyday society, societal terms. Like he's got a lot of money, great kids, family, like does his own, the complete freedom. Like that's a guy that like, he came from nothing. And he was like a punk kid, like one of society's like, quote unquote, outcasts. And action sports was this vehicle that he was able to, to you know, use to drive his life into now what you would call a, a super successful life. And I think that, you know, there's something very, very good there uh, in terms of the way that a young kid can earn respect purely based on ability and talent and perseverance determination and then you can use that and you can turn that into like this absolutely unfathomable life that without action sports you couldn't have had that yeah totally it's uh it's a crazy world we live in and it's really quite cool how it's all come about and it's all developed over the years and it's amazing you know and and it's funny because you speak about the respect and the opportunity for for young kids to get respect you know no matter what they uh what their circumstances are what the background is you know you can earn respect at the skate park we'll just use the skate park you know yeah and it's cool to to think about that because really you know like the only way you used to get respect was out on the battlefield, just fucking like mowing down motherfuckers, like a hundred percent, just swinging the spear around and just fucking kicking ass, you know, it's blood everywhere. And, but like now, obviously, you know, you can't do that shit. So <laughs> to have this arena where, where kids can go do that, get respect and, and no one really gets hurt. Well, you, you except for yourself, sometimes when you step outside your boundaries is, it's amazing, man. And I think that uh, it definitely, action sports definitely makes people's lives better. And that's why I think it's growing. And uh, that's why I'm so happy to be an athlete in the action sports community to just spread the love and, and you know, help uh, help 
younger generations just find their own sport in their own way to to figure out their own boundaries and you know what they're really about yeah so what was your introduction to action sports like what was your background i'm sure growing up in canada the whole mountain bike thing you guys definitely have some hills dude uh i used to skateboard when i was younger and uh it was sick i used to love skateboarding and then one day i i uh, i got sent away to hang out with my uncle and I'm not, I can't exactly wonder. I can't remember if it was because I was a good kid or a bad kid, if it was punishment <laughs> or reward. I can't, I can't remember, but I went to my hangout with my uncle who was, uh, for a summer who, who builds, uh, builds boats and was hanging out with him and he just had these mountain bikes and he got me out mountain biking and I was just like, holy shit, this is insane. Cause it was kind of like motocross. I used to ride motocross, but parents divorced and moved into a suburb so the dirt bike wasn't really an option anymore so it was just the skateboard and then going out west to kind of get a a tap into the mountain bike culture really fired me up because it was kind of like motocross but you could just do it anywhere yeah so i was like this is sick and then going back home uh, about like a month or two later i can't remember because i was so young um all my friends had mountain bikes and none of them skateboarded anymore. I had no one to skateboard with. And I was so pissed because I was good at skateboarding. Like, like yeah. I would like go skateboarding, man, uh, by myself. And I was just like, had no one to do it with. So I was like, fuck, this sucks. And uh, so I worked all year, saved money, cutting grass, whatever it was, and uh, saved up and bought my first mountain bike. And I was so what stoked. Was it? And it was a Kona stuff and, and it was a beige one. Yeah, and then yep. I remember like getting it, and I took it off a jump, and like just exploded the back wheel, like <laughs> right out of the back dropouts, and like grinded on the asphalt for like twenty feet with like no back wheel, and all my friends were like jaws were on the floor because the gap was so sick. Well, it wasn't that sick, but whatever. At the time, back it was. In the day. And then, uh, yeah, back in the day, and then it was broken. And it, it took me like maybe six months till I got the part to fix it. <laughs> no way. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. And I mean, like, you know, at that time it was just, it was just something fun. I did, I played hockey, uh, pretty competitively and, um, it just, it, there was a point where it just wasn't fun anymore and practices got too gnarly and all these kids thought they were going to the NHL, but like. I knew I wasn't going to the NHL, dude. I was like, this isn't it. But mm. I still longed for 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 an arena to express myself. So when I found mountain biking, it was really something that I could do on my own terms. I was good at it. I got respect from my friends. And um, yeah, I, I, I just fell in love with it, dude. And so where did it, <laughs> where did it like go from there to kind of transition into it like being a career dude it's gnarly like i don't have a traditional career path and i don't think i'm a traditional mountain bike athlete like i grew up in the east coast yeah there are no mountains you know and and uh well luckily you know we had a forest and i would watch the movies and the movies i was watching you know were were super old mountain bike movies and it wasn't until i got online that i realized that i was like five or six years behind 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the whole scene, man, yeah. which was crazy, like crazy, because you have this world that you think you're living in, but it was, you know, it was five or six years in the past. But anyway, so I was riding for fun, and it was just so much fun. I had such a good group of friends to ride with, and, and I was uh, fixing antique clocks with my grandfather because my grandfather owned a, a clock business and that was really the main focus was to take over the clock business and become yeah, a well. horologist um which is what it's called like when you're when you're fixing antique clocks and it was super funny because i would go from like the skate park where everyone's like punk as fuck and gnarly you know you get beat up at the skate park whatever people doing drugs at the skate park and then i would go to work and I'd be with my grandfather listening to classical music, working on like fucking two, three hundred year old like timepieces, man. Like, you know, I'd have to dress up nice and go to clients' houses with him and like talk about how Apple's stock dropped like, you know, a couple notches. <laughs> it was just it was just kind of crazy, man. And uh and uh I was uh you know pretty crazy kid because i was here i was working on clocks and i was doing it uh, mountain biking at the same time and you know the this i was putting videos out with a buddy and they were getting a lot of views and we were making a lot of progress in the mountain bike street scene which was pretty big at the time and uh yeah i i remember around 19 to 20 i started getting offers from companies to ride but they weren't the companies that I thought were cool. And uh, mm. I often tell this 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 story to 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 some some of my younger friends that I ride with because it's just so freaking retarded, man. Like I was just such a dumbass as a kid. But there was these companies that would, would call me and they'd be like, dude, uh, we love what you're doing. It's uh, you know, it's awesome. Uh, we want you to be part of the team and you know, if I didn't like the product, I would be like, I would be like, okay, sick. Like, uh, do you guys sell dental plans? Like, do you have a dental plan with your contract? Because I'm going to snap your bike in half. Like the first jump I do. <laughs> and the TM would be like, the TM would be like, what? Are you, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like I wouldn't even be stoked on the phone. Like I was so retarded, man. Just cause I, I, you know, mountain bike streets was such a, core crazy scene it was so hardcore and it was so like we were just breaking parts and we were like different you know there was like mountain bikers and then there was like hardcore street mountain bikers that we were part of you know like and uh i just couldn't open my mind to the whole scheme of things you know and that 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 this subculture that i was in was just a tiny pyramid and i guess long story short um I just, uh, I was just in love with street mountain biking and I made videos and I just dominated the internet with, uh, with, with videos, you know, and, uh, that, that's what it was all about. Just making videos and jumping off shit and emulating BMX and taking it to mountain bikes. And it was a good scene and, uh, it was really a, a small, tight, loyal scene. It was so sick. I got to travel all over, um, you know, like Europe and, and, and North America, just sleeping on people's couches, riding street. And it was, it was awesome, man. So what, what was street mountain biking 
Like, were you just sort of doing? Because I don't, I, I missed that scene. <laughs> I was the, uh, I was the full downhill racer kid. Um, but like, so what, what was it that you guys were out sort of doing? Were you guys trying to do like skate parks and ramps, or was it more of like the like gaps and stuff like that? Yeah, well, it was. It always kind of chewed me up inside because I could never define street mountain biking. You know, people yeah. be like, like, what is? What do you do? Oh, I'm a street mountain biker. Like, well, what does that even mean? Like, like, how can you be 24 years old and you're a street mountain biker? You know, like you say that to some hot chick at the bar and she's, you know, sometimes she would go over to the pro skateboarder instead and I'll be pissed. I'd be like, fuck, you know, like, you know, it's just this whole internal, you know, this whole internal thing. And I think what it was about street mountain biking was just that, you got to explore cities. Yeah. You know, most mountain bikers show up. They got a lot of gear, you know, a lot of parts. It's really expensive. They yeah. need to get to the airport, to the mountain. Um, street mountain biking was so cool because you basically got off the airplane and you would go in, into the city and live at someone's flat on their couch and live the city life where you're riding you know, just whatever you want, whatever you, you have to ride, curbs, banks, stairs, roofs, whatever. And then you're also getting to live in the city like you're from there, which yeah. is insane. Like you're like full local mode engaged. And then you get introduced to the nightlife and uh, all the local people. And it's just, it's just such an insane experience. And I'm so happy that I was a part of that because I got to travel so many places for for basically nothing, you know, and I spent maybe five years on people's couches, man, just like yeah. traveling around, making videos and riding street. Gypsy life, bro. Dude, I remember like sometimes I would show up to, have, and, and, and this is crazy because I was doing the street mountain biking thing, but then I realized that I couldn't make any money really doing street mountain biking. Like it was a yeah. big cap. Like I was, I was maxed out, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, and I was working on a company with my friends and we were going to sell products to, uh, to street mountain bikers. And I, and, uh, I got to shout out the company, the rise, all my friends, the rise, we, we dominate the street mountain bike scene. But anyways, I, I, I realized that there wasn't enough money in that scene. So then I started like riding dirt jumps and stuff, which I always kind of did, but I was like, not really that interested in it, you know, but I just like ride dirt jumps and like learn some moves enough to like do some contests. And I remember like showing up to some contests, like dude, like going to buy breakfast and like bank cards denied, you know? And, and they're like, sir, you know, uh, your, your card's not working. And you're just like, fuck, oh, what about this one? No, not working. Mm -hmm. You roll up to practice hungry and you're just like, like, okay, man, like, like I gotta eat, like, like let's do this, you know, and and uh, and and you know, I would I would perform and I I would win money and most of the time, sometimes I wouldn't, but yeah, and then and then I would eat. It was a crazy life, and uh, I don't recommend it to to other people, but dude, I was young and I was doing what I loved, and it was it was awesome. Dude, I, I can relate so much to that, man. Like, it was funny. Um, one of the boys was talking to me about 
yeah, just like I guess the money trouble that I used to have living in America and trying to travel around as a filmmaker and do all of that stuff. And like, man, some of my most stressful, stressful <laughs> memories were at airports, knowing that I had way too much shit and that I had no money for excess baggage. And I remember just being in like other countries and just praying, praying to fucking God that when I got there, I could, I used to always have more carry on than I was allowed, but I'd hide them at the airport so that they like, when I was checking in, they didn't ask me to check those bags in. And then I'd take the extra shit through, um, you know, through security. And then I'd either like ask someone to take my extra carry on that didn't have any, like sit and make a conversation. It just become this thing. And like, it was so normal to me to just like not be able to afford where I was traveling to. And just somehow you'd get on that flight. And I mean, there was times where like I ended up just getting on like online banking and just being like, Hey lady, like I know you're just trying to do your job and I know that these are rules, but I'll show you that I have no money. Like I'm not from here. I got no money. I cannot afford to pay for the excess baggage. These cameras are the only way I can make money. You're standing between me and my next paycheck. Like this is just is what it is, you know? But like, fuck dude, I just, I don't know how I did it for so long. Like I, there's just something weird that keeps you going, right? Yeah. It's just, you know, from it's crazy what we do, but you know, it's love, I think, that keeps you going. You just love it, man. And then that's what allows you to just fucking go for it. Like, no one's ever gone for it. And it was such a great experience in uh, for me. And there's so many good times, especially at the airports, you know. And there's the classic tricks, like, like you know, hiding your stuff. And, like, I, I yeah. always used to bring a really big bag, you know. And they'd always be like, sir, you got to go to the oversize. And... I'd have yep. all this stuff stashed. And then you just like, as soon as you pass the corner with your carry on luggage, you just fucking like boom in the bag, you know, and stuff that thing like super full. And then you walk onto the airport, like, you know, like one tiny bag and you don't pay for oversized, you know, although your bag weighs like 80 or 90 pounds. <laughs> oh, dude. Man, yeah. The, the, the yeah. carry on that I used to take on the plane was like 20, 30 kilos. Yeah, insane. What? And when you got like two or three connections, yeah, it's pretty outrageous hauling that all around. Oh, dude, I just felt like if you got on the first one though, you were sweet because they just there's like your bags are already going there. You, what are you, what are you gonna do? But I mean, I was thinking about it the other day. Like, I guess I just wanted the the freedom more than anything. Like, I valued freedom over money so much. I just wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do. And that was to a fault, to a point, you know, like you end up paying for that down the line. Like I look at my brother's got, a, you know, properties and houses and, and my sister and you've got all of that sort of stuff that gets left behind so that you can live that lifestyle. But I mean, I just don't, I don't know, like, that freedom, like I have had such a crazy level of freedom in my life. And I think that I valued that above everything else for quite a long time. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because 
you know, as you grow older, your, your values change, you know, mm. at least they, they did, they did for me and my, and my thing, um, you know, after a while, it just felt kind of a deep anxiety of, of not having a home mm. <laughs> <laughs> and just traveling like full time and, well, you know, I'd rent Airbnbs here and there, but most of the time I was just staying on my friends' couches. And then, you know, after a couple of years, I just started to feel really bad because I was, um, I didn't feel like I was contributing the same level to my friends. Right. Mm. And these were all things that were deeply going on inside. And I think it's just your natural call as a man, as you get older, you just want to provide for your community, you know? And I was, I was a young man, like, you know, becoming a becoming a well becoming a man in those years and and there was just that deep call to to get your shit together and provide and you know it wasn't until I got really injured where I was forced to kind of put the brakes on my whole life style and and life in general and then um you know and actually like like have to get a place and like start building, you know, like paying rent and not traveling mm. everywhere. And, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely changed everything in injury because, you know, you can't live on people's couches and go to the airport when you got like, you know, a, a broken leg or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little about a bit about the injury then like, well, probably have to go back to some of the earlier career stuff but um yeah we'll give people a bit of perspective so like the at the time you got hurt you said it was about four years ago um you're definitely like a very established name in the mountain biking community like you've really done some very unique and different stuff um with the film projects and and the I guess the features that you kind of build and ride. Um, and then you get to the point where you're, did, did you even call it the loop of death before you crashed on the thing? Or so I guess just like, <laughs> just run us through the, the, the crash, how it sort of came to be. And I guess the, you know, the, the outcome of that whole deal. Yeah. It's funny because we're sitting here and we're talking about this now and I forget about this stuff all the goddamn time and it's so crazy when I look back I just can't even believe that that was me you know just because I changed so much and yeah uh, and over the years but yeah dude that was me and I was this I was dude I was just like leading up to my accident I was quite uh headstrong and pretty crazy guy you know and uh and I, I love the street mountain biking, but I wasn't getting the, the, I maxed out my respect in the street mountain bike community. So then I started looking for respect for the entire mountain bike community. And, and when so where did, where that, did, sorry to cut you off there, but like, where yeah. did that, where did that want come from? Like what, what was the driving force underneath that? Well, you know, it's crazy because looking back at it now, I can just see that, you, you know, it's it, it was my absent father, you know, just, just not being there in my youth. You know, someone that you look up to, you need their love, you need their approval. Mm. So all I did was I was just like on my bike looking for other people's approval, doing stunts, getting approval from your friends. And then what I 
didn't realize until, you know, I crashed and all that stuff. But I just, I didn't realize that that wasn't sustainable. It wasn't Mm. filling the hole of your father's love. You know what I mean? So basically, um, you know, the mountain bike community, the respect wasn't enough. And then I was like, fuck it, dude, I'm going after the whole world. (laughs) And then that's what spawned the loop of doom. I was like, I am going to, I'm going to do something so great on my bicycle that the whole world is going to respect me, you know, like some evil Knievel shit. And, uh, like what the fuck, you know, I was 24 years old. I didn't have, you know, barely any money. I was couch surfing. And then I decided that I was going to build the biggest loop de loop that the world had ever seen. And I mean, it's not like it wasn't completely unfounded because, I did consider myself at the time a loop expert and years, years, years down the road, I came across this photo of this guy, um, riding a loop with a bicycle. And it was like from like 120 years ago. And I was like, Oh my God, this has to be fake. That was in the clock stuff. And I was a little nerdy about history. So I'm looking at the history of cycling because I found it so fascinating. And then I all of a sudden came across these guys in the circus doing loops. And then I'm reading newspaper articles of these guys. And I'm like, 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 like one article, they would call them loopers, you know? And, and one article was like looper found in the streets with prostitute and like disgraces circus community. (laughs) What? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God, here are these guys like 120 years ago and they're just like some action sport athletes today nothing has changed these guys are the first action sport athletes yeah and it was the loop so i was like oh my god well i gotta build a loop because this is so sick so i had a compound that i was helping a friend develop and it was called the sof in nova scotia and this guy was just helped me out so much. He, I had all these crazy ideas and he was basically like, come to my house and you can build all this stuff on my land. And, and, uh, and you just helped me build a couple things and we will, we'll call it, you know, even, and you can bring, uh, audiences to, to my bike park and eyes on my bike park that I want to build for the community. And I was like, Oh yeah, sweet. So I'm building all this stuff. And I had built all these crazy features and the loop was in there and I would invite people to the pot, to the place. And I would be mm. like, okay, well, like, you know, what do you guys want to see me ride? And everyone said the loop. And I was like, are you sure? Like I got like the corkscrew of death over here. And I got like the, 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 the steel open loop Cobra I used to call it. And then I got the, the scorpion and like, no, and like everyone would be like the loop and especially the chicks, the chicks would be like the loop. And I was like, okay, there's something about the loop and I just mastered the loop. And then, uh, I ran into, a, you know, life's so crazy. I ended up in South Africa with, uh, Sam Reynolds and there was this guy at this was, bike park. Was that with like Fest he, series? Yeah. That, that was where the fest fest was just beginning. Yeah. And, um, Sam Reynolds was kind of, this was before he got involved in fest we were going down to Africa to, to shoot a video project and we had a farmer who was starting a bike park and he was like, you guys got to come up here. 
I'm going to build you some stuff. It's going to be crazy. And we were like, yeah, whatever, dude. He kept hitting us up. So we were like, well, what do we want to build? And we sent him ridiculous dimensions. And we were expecting that he was going to like cut it in half and not make it to the size. But like, dude, we're getting photos and like this guy is building everything to size, but he doesn't know like how crazy he doesn't know it is. The, like like what is going on. Like he doesn't realize like like how the takeoff should be or anything. He's just fucking piling dirt. So we're like, oh my God, we gotta go down there. So we ended up going down there and meeting this guy and he was just fucking crazy. He was just like, I am gonna I want the most badass bike park in the world. I want everyone to know about this park. And I was like, I'm your guy, man. No. Like, I got something for you. Like, it's 40 foot tall loop to loop. We're going to build this thing and, like, I'm going to go around it and everyone is going to know about your bike park. And uh, he was at first, he was like, oh, uh, you sure you get the money, whatever. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to make it happen. And, uh, yeah, I basically, since I had mastered the 20 foot tall loop de loop and used and studied these guys, I thought that I could go 40 feet tall and I thought that I would just take everything and double it. But uh, little did I know that, you know, the forces of nature are not, they're not linear, they're exponential. You know, the faster you go, it's not double the force, it's like four or five times the force. Yeah. And that just gets more and 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 more <laughs> and there's like there's no end to it so um and so so not knowing that i just went off what i knew and the resources that i had and um i called together my friends i raised money through a crowdsourcer because all the energy drink companies thought it was too crazy um yeah. i sold each board of the loop to anyone who wanted to buy it online. I uh, dug the holes myself for the loop. Um, I had two insane carpenters that were my friends that basically worked for for nothing. And I flew all my friends over to Africa because it was way cheaper than paying for the insurance to do it in North America. And I just bootstrapped this thing with like four of my best friends. And in one month we worked, I don't know how many hours, but we, we literally built a structure that looked like the fucking horse of Troy <laughs> that they, you know, that they brought to the thing. It was insane, man. And it was just like, you know, we had this 80 foot tall rolling tower to go into it. And it was just like something from out of this world that, that, uh, yet yeah, that, yeah, these, just these 24 year old crazy, motherfuckers we were out there just living our dreams you know dude it (laughs) fucking blows my mind the level of commitment that that shit would fucking take to do like mentally how gnarly you had to be to send that shit is on a whole different fucking level than i'm prepared to even think about It is, it is, it is really quite crazy. And, uh, you know, I didn't really realize how crazy I was being at the time. Everything, all the decisions that I thought I was making, I was just following the art of war. I was like, this is perfect. Like, I am going to dominate the world. I already know 
I'm going to sell this show to, to, you know, Nitro Circus or whatever, and I'm going to make 20 grand a weekend and I'm going to buy this and do that. Like, like I already had it. Like, like I was mm. so far ahead of my, my game that I wasn't living in the present moment, you know? Yeah. There's a lesson and also, there. Yeah. I mean, so, so among many lessons and, and also here I was, you know, partly expressing my true authentic self and doing what, what I was called to do, which was this giant loop, which something I was super interested in. But the, the fact that I wanted the respect and the love from the entire world to just look at me and how badass I was, that was kind of like jet fuel. And I was skipping steps. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was skipping a crucial, important steps. I wasn't checking in and, and taking the right time. And it was crazy what ended up happening because we were working on the, the, the loop. Like, uh, you know, the night before I was going to hit it, we were all working on it till dark. We finished dinner. I didn't get to bed till about 11. And I'd been working every single day for a month building this loop <laughs> and then i woke up the next day and it was like well time to hit it and i didn't even ridden my bike really and i'm just like going up this 80 foot tall rolling to hit this loop and so you're just so I mean, single-minded like single-mindedly focused at this point well it was so crazy dude because at that point it had become more than just about me i had yeah. Four of my best friends that I deeply respected and loved, you know, just pour their blood, sweat, and life into making into this vision. a reality for me. Um, I even ran out of money at one point, and some of my friends lent me money to finish the structure. You know, um, I had about 100 locals that just showed up out of nowhere that were just, like, down to watch this. And then... Also, I had my own self-expectations. When I climbed the ramp, I knew exactly how I was going to feel if I went down the, the stairs and didn't hit, you know, didn't go down the rolling. I knew how I was going to feel and I knew how my life was going to play out since that day. And I knew that on my deathbed, I would regret this moment. And being a massive fan of Matt Hoffman who basically says he refuses to live without any regret. I refuse to live without regret. And I saw basically like a why in the road. And one was, you know, basically de evolution, you know, and, and regret. And the other road was endless possibilities, but maybe certain death. <laughs> So I just rolled up my sleeves and I turned on my favorite song and I gave it my best shot, man. And it was, I mean, obviously I look at the, the, the video and it's just horrific. It's like watching someone die. But, you know, I was just 24 years old trying to do something that no one had ever even come close to doing in my arena. No one's th even thinking about doing it now. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so, you know, 
it's any anyways, you know, and I was just alone with my four best friends. None of us knew really much about what we were doing. And, uh, at least we, th- we thought we did. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I almost killed myself. <laughs> Dude, so what was but the song? Is, oh, it was, um, what was the song? It was, uh, man, it was Metallica, uh, you know, look to the sky just before you die. It's the last time you will. Wow. You know that song? Yeah. That's so heavy. It. It's a, it's like one of Metallica's favorite. It's one of their biggest songs. I can't believe I can't remember it. Yeah. What's the name? I'm going to get it up. Metallica. So you had that playing, those lyrics playing while that shit was uh, really playing out. It's for whom the bell tolls. Oh, and if yeah, you yeah, look, yeah. Dude, dude, and if you, if you play the loop teaser, you can hear it in the background. And that is from the footage of the cell phone playing in my pocket as wow. I'm like got the broken bones and I'm like coming to it's pretty gnarly but uh but this is the thing about action sports that I realized in this moment that action sports could actually inhibit your growth as a young man because you you know you can uh, you can take it too far you can put yourself in positions where you could kill yourself and it doesn't it ends your life which is bad for you because you don't live anymore but it also, you know, scars your best friends and it makes the sport look bad in general. So it was just such a massive learning process to, to, to fail. And I can't believe that I didn't die. And it's, uh, it's just every day since that has just been a, been an incredible experience. And I, and I actually changed my birthday to, to the day I crashed because I absolutely feel reborn. <laughs> Dude, I honestly can't even imagine. So, so you roll in, like how much of this whole deal do you remember? I remember everything. Um, Were you unconscious at all? No, 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 no. I wasn't unconscious at all. And it, I mean, it's really quite, it's really quite sad because I hit the bottom of the transition and instantly I was thrown up against my bars and I knew that I fucked up before I even got in the thing, I was just completely compressed. And if you have a bicycle wheel and you spin it and you hold it in your hands, you'll notice that the wheel is harder to turn the faster the wheel is spinning because the gyro force effect of the wheel. So at the speed I was at in that transition, it just pushed me flat against the bike and the wheels were going so fast that I couldn't turn them in the the radius that I was in. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the 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 loop, there's two radiuses. There's a bottom radius, which is more slack to help you carry momentum up into the top radius, which is tighter, which allows you to stick to the actual surface and not um, fall off. And when I hit the top radius, all of the forces that I was under basically like fucking like quadrupled and I felt some sort of force that I have no words for to describe. And wow. I, 
punched myself in the face, which turned my handlebars the wrong way. And I flew out of the side. And, um, I remember flying through the air. And the first thing that I thought was, wait a second, you're flying through the air, dude. And then I was like, Oh no, you complete dumbass. You're going to die now. And you blew it. Like you had this beautiful life to live of this endless potential of everything that you could have been. And now you're going to die and not reach any of it. And you're going to scar your friends in the process. And I'm like, fuck, I am a dumbass. And then I see the ground and I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to die, but I am for sure going to be paralyzed and break both my legs because this is <laughs> this is high man and I remember preparing for impact and I just wham I hit the ground and also you know there's no words to describe that feeling of hitting the ground and I remember rolling over and and looking down at my toes and I just wiggled my toes and my foot was like completely sideways and but I moved my toes and I was like hell yes and then I looked over at my hand and my hand just looked like you know, someone smashed it with like a 12 pound sledgehammer. And I was wow. like, I was like, Ooh, that's, that doesn't look too good. But you know, at least I could still move my legs. So I was, I was pretty stoked and you know, then the pain sits in obviously. And then, and then deep regret sit in because I, I felt very selfish in that moment. And, mm. uh, and it, I just, I just almost started crying because of how selfish I'd been. And I just dragged my friends out here, put them through hell just to watch me kill myself. And I was like, God damn it. I need a time out. I am being fucking crazy. And that's what life gave me, man. Fucking time out. So, you know, I, I, I deserved, <laughs> deserved much worse, but, uh, but yeah. And dude, God it's it's tough damn. because you have a you know you have a perceived future of yourself, and you you think you have these dreams that you're working towards accomplishing, but at that very moment, all the dreams that I had worked my entire life for, everything that I was working towards, it was not attainable anymore. Yeah, you know, it was it was completely out of the picture. Everything that I related. You know, all my self-worth was just like completely gone because everything that I was could no longer be. And uh, that was fucking insane. It was just this death of uh, ego, I'll call it. And uh, yeah, dude, you, you just had to start from zero. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Dude, it's so gnarly, But it's man. cool. Like it's cool. It's cool to have that story now and to be able to talk about it and share it with people, you know, and reflect on it, learn the mistakes and, and move forward. Man, the honesty is insane. Like for you to be able to admit all of that shit and, you know, to know it in the moment. And I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's so fucking crazy. Like, I've had two crashes this year, completely just not relating this in any way of comparison. Yeah, totally. But the moment, I just, there's a fucking moment when you crash and you know you're going to get hurt. Like I crashed a road bike in Vietnam earlier this year. 
and uh it was just a simple crash i tipped over slid across the road and and then off the road but fuck man like how much shit you can think about in that instant like time takes on a completely different meaning because i was um i wanted to go add this like kind of idea of going to bali in my head right after this trip and then i was like competitive with jiu-jitsu and then all the shit that i was doing and i just knew that i knew as soon as the front tire washed on this bike i just had this conversation like this internal dialogue with myself around everything that was going to be taken away as a result of hitting the ground and then when i crashed i crashed in july this year it ended up being a, a worse crash like i broke my hip and stuff but I was in the air and it was the same thing and I just got back to just got back to training jiu-jitsu and I just got back to these things after my shoulder from the Vietnam thing. And it's the same thing. You get bucked off that bike and it's just it's a split second that um, you're actually uh, the the moment of time. Like what's physically taking place is only a fraction of a second, but man the internal dialogue and the mental comprehension that can take place in something that really takes seconds and a fraction of a second. It's insane what you can actually comprehend, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. And it's, uh, it makes you think about life for sure. And it's, I think it's all relative when you have those moments. And I think that we get hurt to realize, you know, certain things to maybe have a timeout and stuff or maybe maybe not who knows but it is it is crazy how much you can think about when time is stopped because you Mm. don't think time can stop but like holy fuck when you're gonna you're gonna die time stops and it's nice actually because you just get a little bit extra time before you die which is Mm. nice maybe it's like a it's like life going like here you go here's your plus 10 because you were such a good good guy <laughs> i wonder how you know if you were falling to your death like how how long that fall would be you know my mm. my fall was only 40 feet but dude it was uh yeah it felt felt like maybe 100 <laughs> yeah like if you had to put a time limit on that how long did it feel like you were flying through the air i mean like <clears throat> probably i would say it was over pretty quick but I would say it probably felt like I fell a hundred feet, but I don't know what it feels like to feel, to fall a hundred feet. And you know, it's funny thing about thoughts because now it's just a memory, you know, that I have, it's a story that I tell myself. I I can't, Mm. I don't know how long I was falling, but for sure it felt like a long time. And it was enough for me to, to really feel deep regret of just wasted life. You know, and, and it was it was sad because I I thought I was okay with dying. I was like, yeah, I'm a badass dude. I'm okay with dying. But when you actually almost die, it's like it's a whole nother thing, and it just makes you realize that how beautiful life is, and that this is paradise. You know, mm. and like fuck me, I don't want to leave it. And that's definitely something that uh, I try to beat into to some of my friends that are younger and fucking crazy as fuck like dude life is long life is good you know you got a long life you sure you want to go for that fucking stunt dude (laughs) maybe you gotta you know check yourself before you wreck yourself because uh you know i certainly wasn't checking myself before Mm. i wrecked myself 
So what was the injuries that you ended up sustaining? Like what was the outcome of um, this crash? Dude, it was insane that I didn't get more injured. I just had some internal bleeding, which stopped on the site. And just my lungs filling up with blood. And that's a weird ass feeling when you're laying on the ground and your lungs are filling up with blood. And you start insane. drowning. Yeah, like literally that's insane, dude. But uh, luckily that stopped on site. And um, it was really just, uh, I, I had 13, 13 fractures and 10 of them were kind of in my wrist area and arm area. And, and uh, three of them were in my, my tip, my leg. Dude, so yeah, I mean, pretty freaking pretty light weight, actually. Like no head injury, nothing. Um, completely conscious the whole time. Uh, they were just really serious fractures around the um, the joints, and they weren't like nice, simple, clean breaks. They were like um, it was like dust. Like my surgical reports are hilarious. Um, and they actually did an experimental surgery on my wrist because they wanted to, to fuse it. And I was like, fuck no, I can't fuse my wrist. Like, like at least give me a chance. And they, they did a total experimental surgery on it. And I completely changed my diet and just went full into healing. And, uh, you know, here I am nearly five years later and I'm like twice as strong as I ever was. I'm riding way better than I ever was. I'm doing tricks that I couldn't even dream of before then. And, uh, you know, it, it's all to that, all to those changes that I made in, in that moment. Yeah. So what was the surgery that they did? What was experimental about it? Well, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy moment because I, I feel so, it was so perfect. The events that happened, they drove me to the hospital and, in South Africa and they did a surgery on my leg and they got my leg all dialed, but the doctor had enough humility to not touch my wrist. And he just fused my wrist in a, in like whatever the best position was for it. And he was just like, dude, I can't fuck with your wrist because it's serious. Like, mm. like you might need to like cut it off. Like he was like for real. And I was like, damn dude, that's not good. So he was like, yes, it's not good. You need to fly home as soon as possible and see the best doctor that you can possibly find in your, in your area in Canada. And I was like, okay. So I flew home, uh, two weeks later, How was, first, what was the process like of, what was the process of flying home with like, cause I'm guessing that that wrist is like completely shattered. Like, how do you even get home with something like that? Well, it's really, it was amazing, actually. My friends rented a truck, and they took me, because I, I crashed about six hours away from the airport. So yeah. they took me in the back of a truck with, like, fucking, um, you know, like, like cushions and shit in the back of the truck. And, like, I laid down in the back of the truck. I was fully laying down. I couldn't sit up, you know. And uh, they just gave me a humongous dube and just put me in the back of the truck. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> and they drove me to my friend's house who owns an Airbnb and their mom was so sweet to me and she put me up in a in a nice room and then the next day 
they basically put you in a wheelchair and you pop a bunch of pain pills and you just, you just send it. And, um, my wrist was, was fixated. So it had, um, external fixators. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of gnarly cause they, you screw right into you and I had no cast or nothing. So it was completely vulnerable. And, yeah. and, uh, you basically get on the airport with that thing and it was so sick. I was flying first class and all the, the, the flight attendants were asking me what I was doing and I was showing them pictures of this gnarly stunt and they were like freaking out and like going, dude, I bet showing like other people like, cause no one, no one could believe it. So it was a, it was a crazy experience and it was, uh, it was amazing to, to get home though. That was a great feeling. Dude, that's funny. And then, when yeah, I brought- the cert- oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say when I broke my hip. The first thing the boys are like, right, we'll go get your fucking tube. And then I was like <laughs> sitting down smoking that thing, and I was like, fuck, man, I, uh, yeah, I think I need more than this. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, the Ambo was funny, like the Ambo dude got there, and I was, he's like, oh, have you had anything for the pain? I was like, man, honestly, just fucking weed. And he was like, probably the move. This will help too. And then they gave me fentanyl and then I was on my way. But yeah, it's funny. That shit actually is pretty, uh, that's pretty good post crash. Yeah. I mean, personally though, I personally, you know, I don't like to smoke weed when I'm injured because I feel like I have no, my body awareness gets kind of whack and I feel like I'm maybe going to do something that's going to hurt me. I don't trust myself. Um, but in this case, I was just laying down in the back of a truck for six hours. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like it's surrounded it seems by like cushions. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it seemed good. like it was totally safe and responsible thing to do. But uh, but when I got back into Ontario, the the surgery was, uh, yeah. I, I I looked online and I went to the emergency room and I just went to the doctor that they saw me, like that they they signed me out to, and I was like, hey man. Um, He's like, oh, dude, this wrist looks pretty serious. Well, we're going to have to get you into surgery. And I was like, yeah, but not with you. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see this guy. And um, and uh, he was like, what? Like kind of in shock. And I just kept requesting that guy. And, and I had how to did wait you find him? Next, well, I just looked online and looked yeah. at all the reviews for the surgeons. And this guy had just insane reviews. Everyone was just like, he fixed me up. He fixed me up. He's the man. And, uh, so, so that was the guy I was going to. And, um, I remember actually going home in the hospital, like, like from the hospital. And I was so pissed because I couldn't see the doctor for another week. And I was telling my mom, I was like, mom, like, you know, don't they, don't they understand like, oh, I'm a professional athlete, like blah, 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 blah. And I remember my mom put the brakes on the car and she was like, she was like, dude, well, she didn't say dude, but she was like, listen, Matthew, um, you're not better than anybody else and you'll never be. You are just another human. And there's a lot of people in this hospital that are just as important as you. And they need help too. So you're going to have to wait patiently. And then that was like the first fucking like, like I was just dying. Like my ego was dying like the whole Mm. time, you know, it was just like just constant death of death and it was painful. And I was like, fuck mom, you're right. And I just started crying. 
Cause I was like, I am like, I totally thought I was better than other people, you know? And, and of course not my friends, but like all these people at the hospital, you know, which is completely and utterly not true. There's nothing, you know, like, like, like I was not doing anything to make the world better. <laughs> like what I was doing was the definition of selfish, you yeah. know, um, in, in every way. I'm so selfish to the point where I completely ruined my body and wasn't able to take care of myself. And my family had to take yeah. care of me and nurse me back to health. You know, I got a sister with cystic fibrosis and she was the one bringing me food and like cooking for me while I was injured. Like my sister who's chronically ill with a disease is nursing me back to health. This whole experience of coming back and getting my strength back and healing and recovery was probably one of the most uh, spiritual uh, growing up, like all the things you could you could ever, I mean, too many words, you know, it was just, it was just insane. <laughs> it was beautiful. Like there's no words for it. It was exactly what I needed mm. to become a man and, and get to the next level. I needed to understand the, uh, the results of my actions. Yeah. So you get the surgery on your wrist and what's the, like what's the process of healing? And you said oh. you change your diet and stuff like that. Like what did you, um, yeah, like what were the steps that you sort of took to change from that dude that you were when you were, you know, that sort of in that selfish kind of mode? And then what ended up changing? What, what were the steps that you took through that healing process? Yeah, so I had a lot of fractures before. Um, I've had about 35 fractures. Yeah. So, so, and I didn't have any of those before I started riding and I only started riding when I was 15. So I have a lot of fractures in a short amount of time. So I had been constantly experimenting with how to heal faster. And this wrist surgery that I got, um, was very experimental. They basically went in with like a vacuum and sucked out, uh, all the, the small pieces, the little chips that would never form back into bone. Yeah. And they pieced together what was left and uh, basically put this like uh, gum glue stuff in there that, that's almost, I don't know, like a, like a caulking. Yeah, and rebuilt yeah, yeah. the joint with that. And they the, the reason uh, why it was kind of experimental was because of just how much stuff it needed right? There was just not much bone. So that, you know, and then, then they held it together with pins or whatever, and it needed a certain time to set. And then I, in terms of healing, I just, uh, you know, developed a, a philosophy that, uh, you know, your, your body is, you got to eliminate all inflammation from your body yep. because you, you want to focus and all your concentration on healing you want to put in the good stuff that you need inside of your in your, inside of yourself so you your body has the right blocks to rebuild itself and then you want to do some activity to to move around the blood as much as you can to keep the blood moving because mm. it's almost like that that's going to help those building blocks just get there a little faster you know yeah. and 
so, so, so eating healthy, uh, moving as much as I could and also, uh, sunbathing, man, I would spend at least an hour in the sun every day. And I think that sunbathing was the thing, dude, that took me to the next level because I healed so fast, um, that, that I went to the doctors for my four week, um, x-ray on yeah. my on my leg and and he had to re-x-ray me because he couldn't believe how much i healed like he went back and x-rayed me again and he was like dude you can you can like walk on that leg <laughs> no way <laughs> and i was like absolutely motherfucker like like hell yeah i'm gonna walk on this leg and i was just like you know i was just just dedicated like the whole day to just every day just to, to, to healing. And I was just doing as much as, uh, as much as I could. So what was your, what was your diet? Like, what did it look like? What were you eating to get rid of that inflammation? Well, I just cut out like all meat. I had a lot of greens. Um, I also got a bone builder, um, which is the thing that old people will take to make sure that their bones and stay strong. And, uh, I think the the cutting out of the meat and just having a lot of greens and a, and a lot of clean protein um, and things that that don't inflame the body like no processed foods yeah and eating all organic drinking lots of water no alcohol no drugs no painkillers just off of that shit and getting you know getting into a little bit of some sort of physical routine and getting outside and being in nature and not just sitting down on the couch and fucking suntanning like as naked as you possibly can <laughs> and uh and just like you know swimming was a big thing that I did too um and also uh putting pressure on my 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 bone breaks but not too much pressure like just a mm. little bit where i would feel like 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 just just to get my mind outside of the the zone that that i was injured and i couldn't do anything but not to the point where i was going to re-break and damage myself mm. yeah because then otherwise you're like going to deal with atrophy and then it's just like such a you know one of the my buddies jack freestone um he says that movement is medicine and I just so wholeheartedly believe that now, like especially after my injury with my hip. And uh, I feel like so much of what kept me hurt for so long is the fact that I spent so long on the couch. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't move. And it's like so much of what I deal with now, I think is even just a result of just not moving for so long. Totally, dude. I, I mean, I do a lot of yoga and I do a lot of mobility training. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's that's the secret. It's all about posture, and it's all about how well you can move, and that's what's going to keep you young. I think youth is linked to movement, uh, and 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 flexibility, in particular flexibility. You look at old people; they're fucking stiff as a two by four. You look at a mm -hmm. kid; Jesus Christ, man, you drop the kid on his head, and he's gonna like fucking bend his neck yeah. 180 degrees and like, you know, <laughs> it's just this, you want to stay like that. You want to do whatever you can to, to, to stay like the kid, but also there's your mind 
factor, which totally influences the body and can stop you from healing. And throughout my recovery, which I'll say is about four years and fully, um, I hit a lot of mental roadblocks where my body was capable of things, but it was my mind that was holding me back, you know, and, and it was just like, yeah, it was just one roadblock after the other. And then that's what led to the insane learning and the, the like just looking for, for books and, and tracking progress. So you could disconnect from yourself and see your blind spots and mm. make progress, you know? Yeah. What were some of the, uh, what were some of the roadblocks that you hit? Wow, dude. So many. I mean, the first one was at nine months when the doctor was like, all right, dude, you're good. <laughs> I was like, what yeah. do you mean, man? I'm not good. Like, like I can't even at this point, dude, I could barely grab the handlebars of a bike with my wrist. And he was just like, you're good, man. And I was getting pain in my ankles, pain in my wrist. Um, and I, I just didn't, I just, I was just, I was like, there's no fucking way that I am good. Like I am so not even close to good. I got so much more healing to do and he, that was it. I was no longer going to see him. So I was on my own and that was the first roadblock. And I remember just being like, okay, dude, you gotta really pay attention to yourself and do this now on your own. And if this is as good as you're going to get, it's time to start riding because like, like, fuck it. Like this is as good as you're going to get. Like you might as well start going backwards, you know, or, or like, you're going to have to keep walking, you know? And I, and I, I, at the time, you know, I was barely walking without Crocs, like without pain in my ankle. I would just get pain, dude. Like I couldn't run, you know, it was just, just this pain would come out of nowhere, like maybe an hour into the walk or whatever. And, and I, I just, I just was no longer, I was no, not even close to being good. So it was just pushing and pushing and pushing against that wall and seeing and tracking when the pain would come in and then looking towards more stuff with diet, but I couldn't figure it out cause I was already eating so cleanly mm. and then thinking maybe it was going to take some time. And then you know, trying to, to ride and feeling the pain and, and then hitting, you know, the, the roadblock where I could like, sometimes I'd go to the park for half an hour. Sometimes I'd be there for five minutes and having to go home and rest and stretch and whatever, do the stretches. These stretches aren't working anymore. How can I find new ones, finding new ones, experimenting with it. And that went on for about a year until I found this motherfucker Wim Hof. Mm through my internet searches and this guy with his breathing exercises and his story just completely captured me. And I remember doing some Wim Hof breathing for the first time. It completely blew my mind. And within two weeks, I went from riding from half an hour to an hour, you know, I went to like two to five hours without no pain. All of a sudden I'm doing push-ups, man no pain in my wrist. All of a sudden I'm running, no pain. You know, all of a sudden I'm fucking running longer than, uh, than, than my friend, you know? 
and whatever my friends know athlete he's drinking beers he's yeah. you know eating all sorts of fucked up shit but whatever man i'm fucking running faster than he is now you know and i'm making strides and this it was really the wim hof thing that that cracked open the whole paradigm and it was just me basically smashing my head against a wall for like a year to figure out um what the what the issue was and luckily i had enough money from my from my contracts and my sponsors to basically get me along and during that time i would basically you know wake up do my routine go to value village i would shop at value village like an old lady you know old retired lady and then i would walk to the market get some fruits and some veggies and then like go home and you know (laughs) cook some dinner dude and play some 64 and then like work out like that that was my life because i couldn't you know couldn't do much else so it was uh it was crazy but yeah wim hof cracked it open for me and then and then then it then then about two years later the body was in line it was getting in line it could take damage and then it was more just the mind so what was it about the Wim Hof stuff that you think really made the biggest difference? It's the alkalinity of your blood, dude. Um, oxygen affects the state of your blood. And if your blood is in an acidic environment, your pain receptors are basically firing on all cylinders. They're heightened. It's like a video game where you fucking got the plus 10 for the pain you know that's that acidic environment for your pain receptors so my body was acidic from the years and years of just dumbass cheeseburgers beer weed street <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i mean just like it was just it was just like you know years of damage and um it was the Wim Hof that, 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 that brought my blood up and it didn't take long. And it brought me into a, to an alkaline state where it's the opposite. You know, a lot of your pain receptors that are not important are shut, completely shut off. And, uh, you, 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 yeah, you, you basically like supercharged, but it's not supercharged. This is the way that you actually are when you're breathing yeah. properly because a lot of us don't yeah. fucking breathe properly and that's a whole other thing we do a big podcast on that just breathing properly so it was it was it was that part of the of the Wim Hof technique that completely profoundly uh eliminated my pain within 2 weeks and it was still there sometimes and it was still little pieces were there but the majority of it went away and those little bitty pieces went away after I dialed in my, my, my lifestyle and found the routine that was working for me. But even now, you know, as soon as I fall off my routine or as soon as I, um, start slipping and drinking too much beer, for instance, um, I feel those little itty bitty pain receptors just, you know, start coming into the picture. If I've been on the road for a month or whatever, they start coming in and, uh, I know what I got to do. I just got to double down on the routine to get them out, but they're always there. And, you know, you just, you just got to keep on top of them basically. And so how were you implementing the Wim Hof stuff? Like when are you doing it? And what was like, were you following some guided stuff 
um, that he does and how do you still implement it now into your lifestyle? Well, you know, I just wake up first thing and just do it, you know, literally wake the fuck up and I got a, he's got a sick app. I encourage you to buy it uh, and support him. And, uh, yeah, I just wake up, light up the app and do the breathing and I'll do, sometimes I'll do two rounds. Sometimes I'll do four rounds. It depends. And, and then I'll get right into, he's got a push up exercise that, that, that you can also do. And I'll do that exercise right after the breathing. And then is that, that what is it? Sorry, a really, a push up, push ups. Yeah. It's a, it's a push up exercise. So you take 30 to 40 breaths. Um, you inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale 30, 40 times. And then in your final breath, you, you, you exhale and then you do as many push-ups as you possibly can until you can't fucking breathe anymore. And then yeah. you take a big inhale up and you push and hold it and you, you almost like you're taking a shit, man. It just won't come out. You push super hard and this just gives you this insane lightheaded feeling and euphoria that's um, basically lights up all your adrenaline, gets your adrenaline firing. And, uh, if you're really good at it, you know, it's the same as, so you can have the same feelings in that moment that you get from landing the craziest fucking trick you've ever done, which is insane. And, uh, yeah, so, so, so that exercise and then right into some meditation and I just refuse to, uh, to, to do anything before I do that. That's fucking unreal. Like I, I cannot leave the bed unless I do that. And sometimes I'll have girls over and they'll be like, dude, what do you like? Like they don't understand what I'm doing, you know, but like, I fucking love whatever. that. They're, they're, they're still here. They came to sleep with me in my bed, you know, and they always come back. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I fucking love that shit, man. Like why that's been my biggest thing that I've found through 2020 is that I have now found a routine that I love in the mornings. And uh, so I'll do uh, fucking cooking it a bit at the moment for some reason. I can't seem to get to sleep early enough. But um, but yeah, like that, there is certain non-negotiables now that I have in the morning. And fuck, man, it just sets your day up so, so well. But that Wim Hof stuff is um, actually Dean Lucas was in the studio a couple of weeks ago or last week, I think. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he loves the Wim Wim Hof breathing and he actually said he's like oh can we do one before we do the podcast and I was like fuck yeah so we all all four of us um producer Ronan Dean and then uh, my housemate Jacko sat in on the podcast we all did this Wim Hof I think we did four rounds of it together and we were all just laying on the fucking studio floor just like sucking in the big ones and uh, I meditate every single day I have for a couple years now and um, so I'm fairly familiar with the I guess different states of you know that kind of deal and um, yeah man it, it definitely puts you into a crazy place and the feeling that I noticed was um, just like the sensation in your limbs and extremities is uh, it's bizarre, man. Like it can just, it really puts your body in a very, very different state to what it was originally. Yeah, it's pretty cool what it does to you. And I mean, if you're interested, you should certainly uh, look into Wim and 
he's got excellent courses that'll explain it better than I ever will. But I will tell you that it is certainly such a massive untapped potential for any action sport athlete who is not doing these exercises. Like, like if you're like, like fuck going to the gym, dude, like you better off doing this shit. Like yeah. for real, dude, like, like this is probably the most important thing that, that I do that I incorporate into my life. And I mean, if you're out there and you're in action sports and you're not doing these breathing exercises, you know, you're, you're leaving a good, I would say 15% every day on the table. And if you're like me, that's not acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big number. <laughs> Dude, that's a lot, man. That's, that's taxes here in Canada. Yeah, 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 hundred <laughs> percent. So w- when you go, um, I'm gonna do that tomorrow morning. I'm gonna do Wim Hof before I get out of bed. Um, so when you do meditation, what meditation are you doing? Like, what I guess style of practice? What are the thoughts that you've got, or what's where's your awareness pointed at when you're doing those things? Damn, well, you know, meditation is a crazy thing and it's definitely got its uh, its uh, stigmas. Like certainly when I was younger, you know, 20 years old, if you told me to meditate, like I, I'd tell you to go fuck yourself, you know, <laughs> just like the books. But yeah. uh, certainly it is amazing and it has profound effects. And my meditation practice has really grown over the years. And it started quite simple, just like sitting down and asking myself certain questions, um, you know, like just, just like, what, what do you want to do in this lifetime? What are you feeling? And that kind of was kind of lame. I didn't really dig that too much. Mm. And then recently there was a book, um, called the way of the seal, which I got into, what was it called? Which again, has sorry? these, the, the way of the seal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure who it's by, but it's a great book, um, basically about seals from the U S military. And it has a great chapter on their mental exercises that they incorporate, that they actually do in their training to, uh, to, to be better soldiers. And I was like, Holy fuck. Like, dude, these guys are doing mental practice training to become better soldiers in the ultimate killers on this planet, like this is going to work perfect for action sports. Yeah. And, yeah. And me. Like, like, so, so I basically just adopted the same exercises that they do. And a lot of that is just, um, you know, sitting down in a nice quiet place and imagining yourself in six months, healthy as fuck, strong mm. as fuck. The person that you want to be or desire to be seeing that person being that person then also you know going into other things as well like maybe you got a this podcast for instance you know picturing this podcast just going perfectly and well and inspiring uh young you know listeners to to go out and live their best lives Mm. and then uh tricks for instance the movement of the trick and the more detail you can get into it you know, the better. And then also relationships. And a lot of the stuff that I think about in my meditations now is just connecting to 
thankfulness, just being super thankful and can, trying to just remember all the crazy shit I've been through and how awesome things are right now and how incredibly insane that is and just bathe in that for a little bit and then be super thankful for all the love I receive online and all that stuff. And then, um, you know, and then, and then take that energy and kind of bleed it into these mental exercises of Mm. things I want to do in the future and, um, what that looks like. And a big thing for me now is, uh, is, you know, just being a good friend and, you know, getting, reaching, being super fucking healthy and super strong and doing all these, uh, you know, amazing tricks that, that, that I want to do before I'm too old to do them. Mm. And do you feel like, uh, the, that need to prove yourself, like those things that initially were the motivating factor for you? Like, so if they're now out of the window, what does that motivating factor look like? Wow. I mean, that's an insane question. And I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's a deep link to, I'll call it my spirit. It gets me up in the morning. It calls me to, to do certain things and my purpose in life, you know, which is to lead, love, inspire, and, uh, you know, just, just evolve as a person continue to evolve. And it's this call of evolution that really motivates me. And it's not just the personal evolution. It's, it's evolution in my sport, you know, and it's crazy because when you get connected to that, that, that whatever it is, that, 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 that spirit, that driving force, it's just like, you're unstoppable, man, because it's like when, when you connect the, the, the spirit with the love, it's, it's insane because, you know, you, you think about a, a raising a child, for instance, like mm. if you're raising a child that's, that's not yours, you kind of, there's a, there's a, there's an absence maybe because it's maybe not your child, but you look at like a mother who is raising her child. And if it's her child, the things that she will do to like, just relentlessly raise this child and do the best that she has, is this endless unconditional love. And like, that's just what, and that's unconscious. Yeah. It's just fucking unconscious. And it happens when you're living your best life and doing, uh, the things that, 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 that you're meant to do. And I, I really truly feel like that. And I feel of value and I feel of service to, you know, uh, to, to, to the mountain bike community, to my friends. And then also this deep inner drive to just evolve things. And as long as I'm evolving, um, it's, it's all good. But the second Mm -hmm. I stop, you know, I'll know right away because it's this, this deep slide into darkness where you just almost feel like you're like uh, like every day there's this thing and you, I'll call it spirit, but it's basically like, what are you doing? You're not living your best life. Mm. <laughs> 
And then that drives, that'll drive you more crazy than ever. And I think that's why people drink a lot or smoke a lot of weed and they just try to numb themselves from that call. But I'm just too connected to it. I can feel it. And it's, uh, it's a crazy thing. And, um, yeah. And, and, and now that I love myself and I'm okay with myself and who I am as a man, I don't feel the need to prove anything. You know, mm. I'm just love like all the time. And it's beautiful because I can truly now get down to work and do the work that I'm meant to do, which is, uh, you know, evolve the sport of mountain biking right now and help my friends that are, are also athletes evolve the sport and be safe and not hurt themselves. Have you, um, have you had any regression from the point like you're a super happy dude and you know, you can tell that that's a very genuine thing that sort of springs from within you post this, um, you know, this crash and this whole deal that you went through, but is there regression that you still are faced with where you feel like that old version of you or you kind of get dragged into some of those um, older ways that you've kind of shed uh, in that four years? Totally, man. I mean, like I would be absolutely ridiculous to say that I don't because we have these programs that are deep that we're just fucking born with. And I don't even know where they come from, but they just fucking are in there deep and they come out, you know? So it's really up to you to, to set up structures in your life to, to, to get around them, you know, whether that's reminders on your phone, if you're always late or, uh, bank payments, if you can't remember to pay shit, like setting up, you know, payments, whatever. But, uh, certainly, you know, there's moments where I do slide back, but my habits and my routines is what really keeps me Mm. going forward. And as long as I am doing what I feel like I should be doing, my energy and my happiness is basically unlimited. It's when I am not doing that stuff is when I can get very, very, very down and low energy. And that's the sign, you know, if you know, if you know, I'm not feeling good for a couple of days, well, it's like, what have I been doing the last couple of days? Like, oh, fuck, I'm over here doing this shit that is not even like connected to my purpose, my life and my dreams. Like, of course, I feel like crap and I have no energy because like I'm not on my right path. Mm. Like put the brakes on, fucking throw her in reverse and like let's get back to doing, you know, the stuff that 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 you're meant to do. And And lucky for me, that's the stuff that also you know, brings, brings me money and fulfillment. Right. So it's, it's, it's awesome, but it's easy. It's easy to get off the path and it's your habits and your routines that, that, that keep you going on it. Yeah. I think, uh, one thing that I've definitely, yeah, the, the routine thing is just so important. And I think that it's, like I said, it's only been this year that I've really, really tried to dial that in. Like I know, when I wake up tomorrow, exactly what the first two and a half hours of my day looks like. And that that's fucking rad to me now. Like that that's wasn't really sick. 
that yeah but i had zero value of that like the whole gypsy thing man like i prided myself on that not being the case and there were so many loose ends and like you just like you're here and then you're there and then you're up then you're down then you're left and you're and you're just like it's so fucking hard to keep stock it's like there's too many variables going on in this experiment and if you think about it from like a scientific hypothesis type of angle it's like okay let's look at life as this crazy fucking experiment and it's like there's a lot of ways to get this shit done there's so many variables so how can we run this experiment with the least amount of variables and i think that that's essentially what routine is routine is a way to take away these fucking random outliers that can just give you this like completely whack picture of what's actually going on and i think that it's when you really you because you can build a routine like i know for me like i'm about to get a rowing machine i'm gonna like i'm that and i think too it's important to say like your routine's just not locked in forever you don't just like pick it and then that's it i never change it you've got to you have to do something for a long enough time to see a result and then adjust the experiment based on like the results that you keep consistently getting so it's like i know now that i need to do meditation in the morning i know i need to read in the morning i know i like to cook my own breakfast i know the way that i make my coffee is like a specific way um that all of these things are just i know what it takes to to like have a good morning and then i feel like if i do all of those things right i'm pretty well primed and ready for the the day and then once you start like it's so easy you're right once shit starts sliding like you let that stuff slide for a week then it's like you're going into you, you've added some weird shit to this experiment and it's like i don't know maybe it might give you a good result here a good result there but like fuck chances are that you're adding these variables that probably don't need to be there you know so it just makes so much sense to me now to just have that structure and then you can then you can tweak from there and it's almost like suspension you know what i mean you're not gonna go out and when you you've got this setting and you're like oh my bike's not really working that good so you're not gonna go change like five compression clicks on the front four rebound on the front then you're gonna go to your rear shock you're gonna go two clicks of high speed three clicks of low speed and then three clicks of rebound maybe change your spring rate change the fork like it's too fucking much you've got to have like this base setting that you can have and then you just make these like micro adjustments on this base setting and i think that for me man like there was no base setting there was no base to even live at for the longest period of time but there was just no base setting where i was like okay this is operational at this point and now we can make these like incremental gains it was always like no base setting constantly changing constantly adding constantly taking away and it's just so hard to have any form of i guess consistent result um when you're in that space and yeah so now you're right like the the times where i feel like i do regress into uh or go backwards from you know what i'd say is like a really good running order for me is when yeah you fall out of those routines variables start to get changed dramatically and you sort of lose that sense of true north in a way yeah, totally, man. And I think it's good for you to speak to all that stuff for your audience and hope that you continue to speak to it. And I hope that everyone listening, you know, 
like if you don't have a routine, like don't feel like you got to build one because everyone's yeah. different. Like, yeah, yeah. I will just say that, that, that for me personally, like I'm just too much of a fucking dumbass to do the right things. Like I, <laughs> yeah, need I can't a be trusted. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like I'm just too much of a fucking dumbass. So I got to build these things into my life or else I will self-destruct and you know that that which is not good i, I don't want to self-destruct i know that for damn sure and my routines is what protects me from myself so uh i mean like yeah and i mean a big one is that these physical routines are awesome because you get your body you know going and one of the ways i self-destruct is sending it too hard i get too excited all my friends are out there we're like we're hitting jumps you know we're doing tricks and like you want to fucking get the boys fired up do a move and maybe you know maybe you're mm. not too 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 qualified to do yet but like man like i would love to do those moves and i i mess up sometimes so you know i gotta make sure that my body's on point so when i do fuck up because my dumbass move that, uh, that, that my body's going to stick together, you know? So it's, it's good. And then routines, you know, they're good for you. And I think there's a good book called uh, discipline equals freedom by Jocko Wilkins. Jocko will definitely yeah. like get you fired up on your routine if you're looking to build one, but don't feel like it's a, it's a, it's a must have. Cause I've certainly know some badasses out there that have no routine and they fucking kill it. So, yeah. you know, it's just, just, I'm too fucking dumb not to have one. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, fuck. I definitely feel you. The, the other part of it too, that it's sort of, I always looked at it as a negative thing to like, I'll be constrained to something. But to me, like, it's funny what you said about, Oh, I got, I got a chick over and like too bad. This is what I do. Like, I don't break this for anyone. There's power in that. <laughs> And I think that for me, I definitely saw, I definitely saw this whole thing as like a, a negative deal. Like, oh, the routine is something that gets like imposed on you, and then it in, encroaches on the freedom that you have. But to me, like now, I look at it completely differently. Like that routine gives me power, and like it, it's something that I like lean into and I like look to for uh, almost like support maybe in like a weird way, but it's the, there's power there because it's my choice. I've chosen to do this stuff. I'm paying, essentially it's like I'm putting money into my own bank account by doing these things. Like the way that I'll read in the morning, the food that I'll cook for myself, the the stretching that I do, the meditation that I do. And then it's like, it doesn't become about being good at meditating or how many books that you read or if the food that you cooked is good. It's just the feeling that I get is like, regardless of the outcome, I've invested in myself. I can't go backwards from an investment in myself. You know, like you might not be able to see, like maybe, fuck man, there's so many times that like I love cooking poached eggs in the morning. That's just like, that's my thing. I like making poached eggs because they're kind of fucking hard to do and they're easy to ruin. So it's like, there's so many mornings where if I just went to next door and got like a proper breakfast from like a proper chef, the breakfast would be better. But it's just sort of not even about the specific outcome as much as it's, me just making the investment in myself. I'm like, no matter what, I'm better for this. Like I've just put some money into my own little 
bank account. Like I've given myself these credits and there's a feeling of, yeah, like that. I don't feel controlled by them. I feel more in control. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, discipline equals freedom right there. Like, you know, we were talking about before to bring this conversation full circle, but you know, when we're young and free traveling, living on people's couches, yeah, you know, eating fucking ramen noodles and, and all that shit. Well, how, you know, actually how free are you when you cannot travel somewhere you want to, because, you know, financial restrictions or whatever it is, maybe you need a piece of equipment to do your job better, but you don't have the money to get it. Um, these routines are kind of, they, they help you build the systems into your life that, that, that allow you the, the, the freedoms that, that structure brings mm. that, so you can, you know, make the decisions. So like, you know, you just said it like putting the money in the bank or yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's like every day you're, you're investing in yourself and it's like if first, you know, you're, you're putting pennies in every yeah, day. Yeah. But dude, you put pennies in for five years yep. and all of a sudden you got, dude, you, you got some money, man, or like 20 years, you know, you got even more money. And then all of a sudden you're, uh, you're financially free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. dude. But physically a, or yeah. mentally, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's crazy too, man. Like this is a recent thought for me and something I haven't spoken too much about, um, like on this particular platform, but I've started thinking about stuff in the future tense so much more than I ever have. Like this podcast, for example, 10 years, still hopefully I'm sitting here doing it, probably be a new studio, probably be a bigger studio, maybe a better studio, maybe more listeners, but the process is still going to be the same. And now every time I'm at work, I'm like, oh, I'm excited for that. Like whoever that dude is in 10 years, like I'm pretty down that there will be some form of like 10 year investment, like 10 years of stacking pennies at this thing. And flexibility is the same thing. Like my mobility and flexibility, man, like I got a chance to be a 60 year old dude that can fucking do the splits or, you know, like that, I'm starting to look at these long-term things like they can improve your life right now and the processes that you put in place can help you now. But it's like, I'm excited now for some shit in the future. Same with meditation. Like I would have done thousands of hours by the time I'm a 60 year old man. And it's like, imagine being a 60 year old man that's done thousands of hours of meditation. Like, fuck. I don't know what that looks like. Like, I don't know any dudes that are like that or a 60-year-old guy. I mean, there's a lot of these, but for me to be a 60-year-old dude that's read like hundreds and hundreds of books, like imagine the the places that mentally you've been to and the experiences that you've had vicariously through brilliant authors that have taken years to write these stories and I, I never have looked maybe it's just maybe that's what getting older is and maybe you know I'm like 32 now so maybe that's just comes with uh getting older but man I'm just looking so much I'm looking with excitement in the same way that when I was a kid on an 80 I was excited about riding a 450 totally dude and I think it's beautiful to hear you speak to that and you know, I just want you to, to think about in your meditations, you know, think about how patient of a grandfather you're going to be mm. for, for your grandkids, you know, 
when you've been, you know, having thousands of hours of meditation practice or, or how good of a husband you could be for, for the love of your life when you can just be there for her in her moments and truly listen, you know, and, mm. and then also, you know, think about how, um, you know, how cultured you'll be in and, and intelligent and just how many decisions you could make that are good ones that are going to impact mm. your family, you know, and because of all those books you read. So like, dude, this is why we put the pennies in the bank, you know, so yeah. we can be badass qualified men because our society needs, needs it, man, now more than ever. And this is why action sports are so amazing because it brings kids in and it, gives them a chance to find out who they really are with real consequences. It finally, you know, gives them community, you know, and then it, it spits us out years down the road, you know, with, with all the experience and the humility to become lifetime learners and apply, um, you know, the, the same dedication that we have to learning our tricks to, to, to living life. Yeah, and and how how is this all translated into you being an amazing athlete? And like you know, post injury, has this translated into more performance from you? Like you said, you're doing these tricks that like your latest edit was insane, man. Like that was some that was some really really creative and beautiful. Uh, work by both you and the production team but do you think that all these you know pennies in the jar has actually you know turned you into an athlete that's so much more capable than than you you ever thought you could have been totally I, I mean like I wouldn't say ever thought I could be but what I thought I could be I am now because of all these pennies putting into the bank. And if you're listening, if you're still listening to the podcast, you made it this far and you're like, if you, if you want to see all these, the results of the hard work that, that, that we have just spoke about, you know, you can go watch that video. And that's, what's the beautiful thing is about podcasting because it gives people meat to chew on. Now someone can go watch that edit and mm. go, what the fuck and get their mind melted, you know, by, by, by all the years and the hard work. But then if they, if they, if they want to know how to get there, you know, if they want to know the, what I go through to, to, to get it to that level, well, it's all here for you, man. You know, mm. it's, it's here for your ears. And I encourage you to, to, to dip into it and, you know, take some of this and, 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 sprinkle it into your own life and that's definitely what i want to be as more as an athlete moving forward i want to you know share my process and also um you know showcase what i'm capable of and and so i walk the the, the talk so to mm. say and not be just a talking head you know i want to be the, the the opposite yeah man it's um it's funny have you read atomic habits Yes, I have. Yeah, I read Atomic Havocs. Yeah, great Dude, book. That that's a book that really, really, really helped change that perspective that that I'm talking about. And one of the things that it's really highlights in that book that I don't think a lot of people are aware that you are reaching your goals right now, even if your life is dog shit and you're unhappy and you're not where you want to be. They're goals that you've set for yourself. 
Like you're where you're supposed to be. You're because your goals are only they're the result of the processes that you put in place daily. Our habits are our things that we do unconsciously every single day. And those habits are what give you the outcomes that you would look at as goals. And some per like let's say weight loss is one of those like that's a goal that you could commonly say like I want to lose 20 kilos or whatever. So it's like okay, well that might be this goal that you've sort of said aloud and it's in your head, but you're actually already achieving the goals that your processes have set for yourself. So like things you need to come down to the level of your processes and what you do every single day just to the to the nth degree because you are achieving exactly what you're supposed to achieve with your current level of of action through the habits that you're living we all have habits now you could call them a good habit or a bad habit but they serve you in some way if you're overweight and you drink a lot and you party a lot and you eat shit food well that's serving you in some way like there's something that you get from that that might be something that you don't actually want or it's something that is bad for your health but it's serving you in the moment you're whether you're lazy and you don't want to cook or you work really hard and then food's like an afterthought or you see it as like a stress relief and then you you need to eat then that's it's all a part of these processes that you're currently living so you know we really are only as good as the processes that we are currently putting in place. Because whether you decide to go on a diet tomorrow or not, you have been following a process. And the results that you have right now are a result of the processes that you've been living with for however long. Yeah, totally. And it's cool. I mean, one of the biggest things for me with that book was the 18 months, 18 months, I think, to make a new habit. Mm. And, uh, it's, that is the, really the biggest struggle, uh, for me personally, when I speak to that book is just figuring out, it's cool to read the book. Cause you read the book and you're like, Oh my God, habits. Yeah. What the fuck? Like this is happening. Like, like I got these subconscious patterns that just play out over and over again. And they, and they build my life for me. Like, what the fuck? Like, it's cool to know that. But then all right, what do I got to do to to change certain ones? Well, fuck me, 18 months. Dude, 18 months, man. That's how long it takes to to build in new ones, which is really the biggest battle for me, uh, which is is just incorporating the new ones and sticking it in. And that, I'll tell you, that's why it's taken so long. I mean, like five, I guess mm. five years since I had my, my big four, four and a half years or whatever, five years since I got my big accident. And... Yeah, it's it's really just been relentless uh, pursuit of just just changing the the programming, the habits, and it's mm. fucking hard, man. But it pays off. And I encourage you, you know, if you don't know that book, check it out because it'll certainly open your mind and uh, and and bring you some wisdom, man. Look at us just dropping books on people. Yeah, well, it's good, man. <laughs> like it's one it's one of the things uh, a bunch of people ask me like where I find the stuff to read because i've always got a pretty long reading list and um Mm -hmm. yeah so i think that maybe it's just like daunting for people as well to uh to not know where to look 
and not know what's good because it is a it's an investment you know like i guess audio books can sort of shorten that um you know shorten the time it takes to get through something i read all mine like physically i don't really do the audio book thing um Mm -hmm. but yeah so i think it's like it's it's good to know so that you don't waste time on something but it's funny um i one of the ways like you talk about building a habit right so i wanted to wake up early so i've always struggled to wake up early and i'm like i want to wake up at 5 a.m so dude i've just started posting youtube videos at 5 a.m so I schedule them to post and then because it's like really important to get up and comment and engage oh and like God. do all of that shit. And I mean, it sucks that I have to wake up and the first thing I got to do is like reply to comments and all that shit. But like, fuck man, it's really worked for me. So like there's a, that I think that part of the book is called habit, uh, habit stacking. So it's like you find an existing habit that is easy for you to do. And then you stack the new habit that you want to build on top of that. So I have a habit of posting videos on YouTube every single day that it happens that 5am is a good time for me to post those videos. And I've just taken one thing I already do with one thing I want to do. So, you know, it's all about really like really looking at it, taking it seriously. Like you can do any of the things that, you want to do and again like you sort of start taking things from different books oh so if i don't do it that's resistance and then i've read that from here and so like you're sort of it's this like collective base of knowledge that you're you're building and you know like you can that's why you can everyone can hear the same podcast and take a different thing like someone this might not resonate that much with someone could hear this and it just be like the penny that drops for them they're like fuck i really like i could totally see myself doing that someone completely misses it you know so it's like it's so important to to be as diverse as you can in your thinking because i mean i've said it a, a million times on here but i think it's like the curse of humanity is that you get this one lens to see the world through and then, you know, by I think that's why podcasts are so popular as well is because you're just getting to be this fly on the wall that is listening to other people's perspectives for an extended period of time. It's not just a soundbite here or there. You can really inhabit that person's headspace. And a lot of, like you said before, a lot of successful people, they have a very, very, very similar traits, very similar habits. And if you can spend hours and hours and hours with these these people you know you really can start to i guess inhabit their headspace by proxy completely man and uh it's so cool to hear you speak to all this and it's it is so so true and it's it's a beautiful time that we live in it's a beautiful thing it's it's just a it's just amazing. Again, I feel so lucky, you know, and that's part of the thing with, with my podcast is I really try to encourage, uh, people to, to, to think about, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I just gotta put a pin in it because it's great to, to have all these routines and it's, it's great to learn all this stuff and take all these things from all these amazing, successful people. But, you know, you can take all that into your life. You can change your habits and you can turn your life in any direction. But 
it's no good if you're going the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I really encourage like people to before they before you do all this work in changing your habits and your routines and whatever that is and applying other people's like it's really important to check in with you and figure out like, you know, dude, like what is it that you actually want and you want to become, you know, are you sure that you want to become a professional biker? Like, or mm. do you just think you want to be a professional bike rider? Like, what do you, you know, I'm just using that as an example, but you know, what is it that you actually want to become? Like, you think you want to be that because this guy has a lot of followers on Instagram and he seems like he has a lot of money. Like, is yeah. that why you want to be that? Because I can tell you if you change your habits and your and your routine and spend your whole life working to be that and it's not what you really you are want called to truly be, to be your true authentic self, it's gonna lead you, you know, down so many, so many long roads that you're just gonna waste so much time and you're never gonna be happy and you're never gonna be truly fulfilled. So I always encourage people to connect to to what it is that they believe that they want to work towards and become, and then, then you can start picking and choosing, you know, the habits and the routines to develop in your life to, to get there. And, and I also always say that it's okay to change that. Like it's mm. okay. Like we develop, like the only thing constant in life is change, you know? And if you're changing, it's good. You're developing, you're evolving. It's all good. So you know, it's not a rigid thing. Like, it's not like you have to find a life's purpose and it has yeah. to be that until you're fucking like 90 years old. It's like, no, dude, you could change that tomorrow if you don't, if you don't affiliate with that in your morning meditation. Like, who gives a fuck? It's just you talking to you. But please, when you're talking to you, just be loving, kind, and truthful because, like, you, like, you know, there, there should be no better best friend than, than, than the voice inside your head, you know? <laughs> Dude, totally. And the thing, the thing though, I think that I totally agree with you and that uh, you should look to see what it, exactly it is that you really want. But I also think that for people that ask that question, a lot of people are going to come back with, I don't know. And I think that that is sort of a problem in the fact, in the sense that if you don't know how to deal with that if if you look and you say like i don't know then i think that what you need to because then you get into this territory of like paralysis by analysis right it's like you're trying to see exactly who you are and exactly what you want and but if you're if you're coming up with fucking donuts and you're just sitting there confused then that's also a problem in you know as if you're going in the wrong direction so i think that to that and that's one of the things that I, I do get asked a lot by people is like, oh, how'd you know you want to do this? How'd you know? I'm lucky in that sense. I've just, for whatever reason, I think that I've, well, I don't know if it's luck. Like I just fucking went forward and then was okay with going sideways and around. But, but I just never stayed still <laughs> and I never stopped and was confused. I just always did something. So I think that, you know, you are right. Like people should definitely stop and definitely ask why it is you're doing a certain thing, but know that even if you come up with, I don't know what I want. I don't know if this job's what I want. I don't know if this chick's what I want. I don't like, there are certain things that you have to do regardless. Like you have to go forward. And I think that there are certain, um, 
you know, like to go back to what we were saying before about investing in yourself, like that sort of always has, has to be the first steps because I think when you're genuinely investing in things that are good for you, then those kinds of questions can sort of have a way of, of finding answers, if that makes sense. It totally does. And I'm so glad to have you speak to that, man, because uh, this is why it's beautiful, like that, that po- everyone's got podcasting, everyone's got social media because everyone has and needs different teachers, you know? So just mm. to hear you speak to that, you know, I think that you're completely right. And I think that it's beautiful, man, that we got uh, people like you in action sports telling these incredible stories you know, to, 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 to all the listeners. It's amazing. Gets me fired up. Yeah. Well, man, it's definitely the same. Like you've been through some super heavy shit and, uh, (laughs) yeah, to, you know, to man, like the energy that, that you've got and like that, the way that like the willingness that I guess you have to be vulnerable and, you know, there's not a lot of people that are in this community of action sports that will just say like, lead with love, lead with kindness. Like that's not really the norm in this industry. And I think it's so fucking rad as well that you can be still pushing the boundaries, you know, like the what you did in your latest edit is so different and it's so unique. And, you know, I think, I think that's one of the things where, you know, to say that this is like a topic that not a lot of people talk about or, um, you know, the 24-year-old you would have, told yourself to get fucked it's like that's i think that's because people feel like they're gonna they're gonna lose that edge they're gonna lose the possibility of still being a mad cunt you know and that's what that's what everyone wants to see and still being able to do like the gnarly shit and i mean dude i even think that sometimes with like with my jujitsu stuff like i need to go in to these competitions and i need to like literally be a fucking killer like in that competitive sense of like i gotta go in and not give a fuck about this dude's body like i have to just try and rip it the bits and i think that's how i'm like man sometimes i maybe i'm like being a bit too soft but it's like you can be both man there's no box that you have to fit in that says that if you think that every person in their life should lead with love and kindness and compassion like that doesn't mean you still can't be a fucking savage. And I think that that's <laughs> one of the cool messages that, that you're kind of putting out there as well is that like, hey, yeah, I can fucking sunbake for an hour and, and breathe with chicks in my bed and do my meditation and still throw the fuck down. Yeah, I mean, of course. Um, that's what life is all about, you know? Like uh, I think Danny Way is also an amazing uh example of that and definitely someone i look up to laird hamilton you know yeah you look at like all the oldest greatest guys in action sports they're living their best life they're connected to the love and they are not afraid to fucking send it and 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 like just you know like show the world what greatness is in their Mm. arena and uh and i ultimately feel like it's the only true path to doing that stuff at that level because the risk is so high there's so many variables and you you're 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 really at the table gambling with fucking death 
paralyzation, financial ruin, like every time you go out and you do shit like Danny way, you know, yeah. so it's like, it's like you need to be connected to, to this, like, you know, we'll just call it love or whatever it is, you know, and, uh, to, to keep going back there and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome to hear you say that. I mean, people, I've been working my whole life to obtain it and yeah, you just said it. So, so fuck. Yeah. It's time to, it's time to keep going because I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah. So what, what is like, where do you see your next X years and your career and what's going to be like a, a career well done for you when this is all said and done? Oh my God. That's an amazing question. You know, um, I have so many barriers to overcome because my ideas of what I believe um, mountain biking should be are very different from the norm. And uh, so, so it's, I need to step very lightly and, um, and strongly, man. And I can see myself basically doing the same thing that I have just done in, on my hardtail in in that niche of the sport but but doing the working hard to to do the same thing on on every bike and every piece of of uh of of mountain biking you know <clears throat> to to blur the lines of the genres of mountain biking and and challenge people's thoughts you know and just lead by example you know you to share my my process of how I'm able to do these things and so, so I can basically, you know, teach the, teach the next generation it is there because it's now it's, we're in a weird space in action sports and in my arena anyways, <clears throat> we had now like, you know, I'm, I'm 29 years old. I'm coming into peak physical strength for the next five years. Right. Um, so, so every year for the next five years, I am going to get stronger, um, the bikes are better than they've ever been. And all the accumulative of my build knowledge is allowing me to, to, to build, you know, build things that are going to push these bikes and push my body to, to the limit. So I guess for me, it'll basically the next couple of years will just be about, uh, making my sponsors super stoked, getting my property and my my land and my resources that I need to to you know start exploring with things like the loop again, but doing it safely and and really getting back onto the path that I was on, but you know not for anyone else, just because that's how I see uh, my sport and that's how I'm called to express it. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of hurdles in the way, but I think that now I'm on the, the, the right path and my body's there and I'm just so excited, man, because we're going to record it all, going to learn it all, going to do it and then just leave a huge body of work to hand off to the next guy, you know, when, when I can't do it anymore. And now with computers, you know, you can program in uh, jumps and gravity and 
all this stuff. And I, and even, you know, in like five or 10 years, I might be able to program the excavator to build my jumps for me. There's just mm. all these things in action sports that are just coming in and it's just what an incredible time. And I just feel so lucky. And then of course with COVID, uh, with more bike sales, I guess this is a pretty long answer, but basically I'm looking forward to many more years of kicking ass, pushing the sport and leaving a, a big body of work for, for the next generation to, to build on and continue to, to push the sport. Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy thing to even think about. Like moto has been the same, man. Like the, the level of uptake of this sport is now just We've never seen an, another year of sales quite like this one. And I mean, I've spoken to some friends that own mountain bike shops and um, we're obviously pretty cl pretty close with a lot of the industry. And man, like we're in a pretty crazy position as I guess like custodians of the sport now, you know, there's, there's all of these new eyeballs on the sport and hopefully they're finding things like your podcast and this podcast and all the other great people that have been working so hard in this in this sport and it's like fuck we've got a real chance of like ex widening this net and adding to the industry in such a crazy way because i feel like funding has always been the problem and that's always been what has held back opportunity and safety we've just always been this fringe thing and now with uh with everything that's happened in in 2020 i mean maybe we finally kind of bust out of that little bubble and end up um you know kind of i guess taking a bit more of a front seat than we ever have before yeah, it's cool, man. Action sports are exploding. And I think you are totally right. And COVID's just adding fuel to the fire. And I think it's all positive, man. Like it feels good because I know if there's more people's riding bikes, I know that bikes are going to make people's lives better. So if that's happening, I'm stoked. <laughs> and so what's your plan with the loop? You think you're going to, uh, you think you're going to try and get back on that, that horse. And, uh, is there like unfinished business there or dude, there's 100%, I mean, unfinished business. Um, and when I think of the loop, uh, I, I, you know, I, the, I know that I'm going to, I'm going to do it. It's a big piece of, where I think that the sport should go. And it's not just a one-time stunt. You know, this is something that I want to, you know, have a, I, I want to be able to ride something like that all the time, you know, for fun. <laughs> yeah. I would love to wake up in the morning, you know, have a coffee and tee up some hundred foot jumps with a 40 foot loop in the middle of them. And I, I don't know why, but that is just what I would love to do. And then I could put the bike down at maybe nine and then, you know, I, I would go to work, whatever, like, you know, whatever, man, but it's a, fixing it's a clocks. day. Well, yeah. Fixing clocks. I mean, whatever, there's so many jobs, but it's a day well lived. So for me, um, the, the loop is certainly something that I'm looking forward to, to reapproaching. And, uh, I believe it now with all my experience um i'm the guy for the job to to be able to to make this a reality and it's going to feel so good and it's going to be such a amazing step forward for 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 mankind and you know such a 
tribute to the past of humanity to those badass motherfuckers that were doing this shit like 120 years ago and it'll just be like a you know tip to the hat to those guys and then we'll be able to take it to you know to to the next level with all our new equipment and you know take it to a space where those guys never even thought it was possible and with the loops i mean you know, it really doesn't matter much more than that. Like I could sit here and tell you like how many people are going to watch it and stuff and blah, blah, blah. But all that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is like, this is really something that I want to do. And I'm looking forward to the day where I can do it. And every day I'm, I'm putting in the work for, for that moment. Well, man, (laughs) I've, uh, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking to you and uh, Davey was right. He said that we were going to have a pretty epic conversation and uh, definitely have, man. I, I really appreciate you um, staying up late over there and uh, taking the time to uh, to hang out on Gypsy Tales, man. Dude, thank you so much for the opportunity. This was awesome and dude, you're a great guy and I also really enjoyed the conversation and I'm so happy that you're telling your, your Gypsy Tales and, and you're making people's lives better. This is amazing, man. Thanks for having me. No, I appreciate it, dude. And um yeah, I, I don't know when uh don't know when we'll put it out just with all the Christmas and uh and all that. But um yeah, I'll make sure I send everything through. And uh do you wanna shout out any sponsors as well before you uh before we head off? Yeah, I mean shout out to, to, to all my sponsors. You're amazing and I mean shout out to the mountain bike community and shout out to all my friends and my family who, you know, help me do the things that I do. Perfect, Bella. <laughs> well, thank Perfect, you. Yeah. Thank you once again. And um, yeah, I'll be in touch for sure. Yeah, dude. This was awesome, man. Great conversation. Fucking uh, good questions, man. Great uh, interview. This was awesome. No, I appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, if you ever need anything from me, just just let me know. 